Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I am your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program, my friends. This is the show where we give you the tools to have a better life, stronger love, and better leadership all around. That's how we run the show. Day in, day out, three hours a day. Never-ending information. Some of it's even valuable. Isn't it, James? Yes, it is. You made it today. Yes, miracle. And you were early. You were way early. <laughs> Why are you laughing? I don't know. I, I was listening to Hans Zimmer this morning, so I walked a lot yes. faster. It's a lot easier to walk to work when yeah. you're listening to Batman. Yeah, because you you almost either feel like Batman or you need to run like from the Joker. Well, with the, how the music progresses, I feel like I was yeah. walking, then I started walking faster, yeah. and then I started like running and see all Hans Zimmer music. You it starts so slow yep. and quiet, so I can just see you like just leaving your house, just quietly shutting your door, just quiet slowly. Like mm-hmm. it probably took you like four minutes just to get out of your driveway. Yeah, a couple minutes to shut the door, <laughs> and yeah, took a while. But then you, it builds up and crescendos until you're just sprinting. Because when you passed my office, holy cow, you were panting. And I was like yelling with this like deep guttural, you know, yes. like raspy voice. And you were throwing your arms as you were running like they were like you were about a three-year-old. Yeah. Going for cookies. Calling out for Rachel. And just like, who? Who's Rachel? I don't even know. Watch the movie. Okay. Is that is that a Batman yes. reference? Rachel, I is thought it, that was he's trying to do the, the whole I'm Batman. Adrian, <laughs> I don't know. I've got to get more into movies. <sighs> Welcome to the show, everybody. This is the this is going to be a great show. Well, you know what we're going to do today? Talk. You may not even know, Terry. I just work here. I have no idea. We are. We are I just put the entire schedule together. I have no concept. <laughs> You just run a team of six people. Take a nah, uh, Here's the deal. We, we've got an advertising executive. He's actually a friend of mine, but he is a stud. Super Bowl creator. He's made Super Bowl ads, and he's just incredibly good at what he does. And we've, I've given him a curveball. I've thrown this man a curveball. So this is a guy that can put together advertisements that go in the Super Bowl, millions of dollars, and I've asked him to critique in in a professional way ISIS and their marketing. And honestly, it scared him to death because he he's like, I don't want to make any mad anybody mad. He's so good though. So he's we're just going to pick his brain. What does a professional ad guy think of what ISIS is doing? Because folks, they're pretty good at what they're doing. They, in fact, other uh, experts believe they could probably win awards. For their magazines, for a lot of their media, if they, you know, if they were able to go to an awards ceremony. They have a talk show. Do they really? It's called Lend Me Your Ears. Oh, see, and that, the scary thing about that is they'll actually cut your ears off. It's not what they do, but so the, I think what they figured out is they have a lot of hostages that are journalists. Yeah. So they just have them host their own show <laughs> where they discuss issues of the day. Yeah. And plead for their lives. Yeah. It's one of those shows. 
You know, there's four episodes apparently. Honestly, if you've ever watched a Jerry Springer show, right? It's not far from that. No, captured people. So they're they're using all forms of multimedia, printing, everything, trying to uh, spread this. And and what I want to get into too is they also have a message that that's moving people, but it's it's kind of a message you just can't you can't just do an anti message to it. You have to actually somehow go capture the hearts of the people they're capturing. I mean, the the, the minds that they're grabbing because they're recruiting like crazy. But those people that are actually being moved by an emotional message. And if you just say, just don't do that, it's not going to be enough. And anyway, we'll get into that today. We've got that. We've, we're going to talk about the impact of pornography on kids. Did basically, did you know that by the time your kid's eighteen years old, your child will have seen and and been affected by pornography? We'll get into that as well. Also, do you know a narcissist, somebody that is so self-absorbed that everything is about them? Are you living with them? Are you working with them? Why, Jay, ho, ho, ho. What? You guys. <laughs> that was rude. What? I was just talking to James. It was no, the I hand saw finger pointing and Well, stuff. it was just at you. Yeah, but. In your narcissistic ways. <laughs> tendencies. We're going to actually tell you what narcissism is because it's a clinical oh. diagnosis that I do not have. Sorry. I'm borderline personality, but I'm not a narcissist. Speaking of narcissists, yeah. there's a uh, congressman from Illinois that has resigned yes. who decorated his office like Downton Abbey and yeah. spent all kinds of money Incredible going to decorator. concerts and games. And yeah. Aaron Shock is his name. Shock. He was on the cover of Men's Fitness because, man, he's got some, some abs. Does he? He has a, a workout regiment that he likes. The congressman's workout. Yeah, that's right. He had a big workout, yeah. He... Uh, Let's see here. Downton Abbey themed office. Now, I saw yesterday on CBS News, they sent one of their uh, reporters into his office to see if he was there. I thought it was kind of overblown, the whole Downton Abbey thing. Yeah. It's the outer office. You open the door in there and his receptionist is sitting in Downton Abbey. It's not just his office. It's the outer office. It's the whole. It's crazy. Whoever's going to take his spot has to go in and just rip the whole thing out now. It's just ridiculous. He expensed 170,000 miles on his personal vehicle, but then sold it with only 80,000 miles on it. Wow. Those are some of the uh, issues. He uh, It says that means he was billed, billing taxpayers for 90,000 miles he never drove. Today, so he announces his resignation. Um, he says, the constant questions over the last six weeks have proved a great distraction that made it too difficult for me to serve the people of the 18th District of Illinois, which is high standards. And they deserve which I uh, the standards he has set for himself. He can't continue in this position. Well, you know what I think it is, but this is why it's perfect to have an ad executive with us today. Because if you just go Google Congressman Aaron Schock, S C H O C K, and then just look at his images, yeah. he's got another career going. He's a model. He's going to be a model. His shirts off. He's, he's probably going to be. Out. You'll see him on down, Downton Abbey. Yeah. Downton Abbey. Downton. 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 I've never even watched that show. That's all right. Is it? I have never been more caught up with the help of a house ever before. But I heard it made you cry. Nah. Don't cry. I told you that yesterday. There's That's no true. tears. Hey, you know what I think happened with his miles? It's dog miles. You Is know it? how one one year equals like seven years in dog years? That would probably work out one mathematically. M- congressman's mile equals seven miles. In it's regular. either that or fraud. Either way. Uh, I think dog miles is a better interpretation. Apparently, uh, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu uh, oh, won election. Crazy came town. Came from behind. 
Okay, now figure well, this out. Well, it depends out. on the headline. He either came from behind to win or he destroyed his opponent. Well, either way. I heard, he, I heard he killed it. So what was all the talk that he may lose? It was really close. I think it's a media the, poli- the polling was really close until okay. they counted the votes, and then he won comfortably. Well, he won, like, very comfortably. But what they're saying is it looked as if uh, he rallied on the last day. Well, it's because he people, changed his position. Well, he changed his position, yeah. You know, when in doubt, change the position. Absolutely. Or shock it out. And then you get back into office and you, you know, I've changed my mind on some things. And who cares? You're well, in you office. Got, well, you can't change your mind. Yeah, so with nearly 99% of ballots counted, he is a virtual certain to form a new government and become their longest-serving prime minister for a, taking, what, a fourth term. Yeah, I listened to the White House. The, the White House had a comment on it, which was basically, again, we have a long-standing yeah. relationship with Israel. I heard this morning. They could barely contain their excitement. We cannot wait to talk to the new <laughs> government. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> oh, man. Can't we just get along? Speaking of the White House. Yeah. The uh, newly installed Secret Service Director, Joseph Clancy, went before the House Appropriations Committee oh, on Tuesday. Oh, I bet that was fun. He asked for $8 million to build a replica of the White House for training purposes. Are you kidding? <laughs> no. $8 million bucks Eight to million build a bucks. replica of the White House. Yeah, he goes, Secret Service agents have come under fire recently for a series of embarrassing blunders involving the White House, right. the perimeter, and security. Drunk driving through crime scenes at the White House. He says, right now we're training in a parking lot, basically. We put up makeshift fences and walk off the distance between the fence and the White House and the actual house itself. They want to have bushes and fountains and shrubbery and all that kind of stuff so they can really train and know their, their territory when they're out there on the grounds of the White House. Well, can't we train at the White House? I mean, Probably not. Not, well, not to the extent and well, level I mean, they want to. Well, yeah. Come on. When I was a kid, we'd just play cops and robbers yeah. and you just run around the front yard. But they want something that's built to scale. Yeah. So when they put their people in that situation, it's like they've already been there. I, I appreciate that. But $8 million bucks, so they and, can build a replica White House. Come on. Imagination. That's why God gave us an imagination. It was Use a, it. It was a busy day at the White House. What? Someone sent an envelope full of cyanide. That's a big deal. The, uh, Did they the, catch it? The, the first test was that it was for cyanide. It's gonna, more testing is going to happen okay. to confirm yeah. further. The envelope discovered at the White House Mail Screening Center was first returned with a negative result for biological testing. When testing for chemicals on Tuesday, the result came back positive for cyanide. <laughs> the substance reportedly inside a plastic bag in an envelope, uh, said sources to ABC News, this, the sender is known to the Secret Service and will face potential charges. In the result of the second test. Did it have like a skull and crossbones on it? That's how it works in the cartoons. That's right. Always let you know that it's poison. That was a dead giveaway. This seemed a little fishy when we first saw the skull and crossbones. <laughs> then when all the powder poured out of the packet. did I, I bet you their mail for the White House is actually not on the no, White House it's property. it's a different location. It's Which probably the same thing with $8 Congress. million dollar facility. Yeah, the, it's next the mock, to the, the, mock the mock White House, yes. Hmm. Yeah, they have a facility off off location so the Congress and everyone goes through the same screening processes. Oh, wow. There's got to be a set somewhere. Isn't there a set of the White House? Just I, go use that. Go to well, Aaron Schock's office, for heaven's sakes. They got to have that West Wing yeah. set somewhere, right? Go back right? to the old West Wing down? set. <laughs> Not a big deal. See, we could solve all of the problems in the world if they would just let the Matt Townsend Show do that. We're going to take a break. When we come back, our ad executive, Jeff Bagley, is going to be joining us. Uh, great friend and a very knowledgeable man. We're going to kind of 
you know, pick through all of the advertising used by ISIS, all their different methods. And we're going to be filled in by Jeff to find out what uh, what they're doing right and what we should do to combat it. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, uh, have you ever heard of ISIS? It's uh, it's this incredible new brand out of the Middle East that's uh, apparently taking charge. Um, it's recruiting people. And if this were a company, we would all sit back and be amazed at the work they're doing. Instead, we, are, we have to go to war and try to stop ISIS. But one of the things I'm not sure we're probably even, you know, doing very well is trying to figure out how do you stop, uh, how do you stop the branding of a terrorist organization? One of the things that is that is happening with ISIS is, and it's it's it really is um, an, an interesting kind of study. In fact, Yahoo.com did an entire article on Terror Inc. How the Islamic State has become a branding behemoth. And um, you've seen it. You've heard about the, the really high-quality videos that they're putting out. And, uh, you know, they have logos. They have, they're running it basically with branches, with uh, kind of a centralized decision-making, except you can also go out and little, uh, you know, break-off groups can have their own type of branding that, that is, runs parallel to the, the national group. High, high, high-tech... Lots of skills behind it, lots of media nuance and prowess. So we wanted to bring in an expert that could help us. And I'm thinking, okay, so who do I know that understands advertising, marketing well enough? Now, again, let's be clear, and he he wants to be very clear. He's not an expert on ISIS. No. Jeff Bagley's his name. Right now he works for the University of Utah as their creative director in marketing and communications. However, Jeff also was a partner and executive creative director for a huge national, uh, international um, firm, Euro RSCG, which was DSW Partners, many years. He was there for 15 years. Super Bowl commercials you've done? Right. For mm-hmm. Intel. If you remember back in the day, they were in the silver suits. Is that right? The bunny suits. Do you remember the bunny the suits? The suits, yeah, from the, the – uh the uh, the fabs that uh, you know where they manufacture yeah they had to go into the, the clean mm-hmm. suits yeah uh, I Omega as well right but you uh, how many ads zip drive and the jazz drive do you remember the yeah. zip drive oh, that's right holy cow yeah. I haven't thought of that word forever zip drive but I remember being with you on Sunday we had Super Bowl ads playing and you're like not going to go watch them because it was on Sunday. Now, you know what? You probably didn't want me to tell people that, but how cool is that? The guy that created these Super Bowl ads, millions of dollars being spent, and Jeff's not going to go watch them. Well, I did have an assignment at that time that uh, precluded me from from watching them. And, well, uh, so I did tape them, so I got to see them well, you in also, the game. You probably were at the commercial shoot, so you've seen <laughs> yeah. it. And you probably edited it. Yeah. Um, Bagley, help me here. Jeff Bagley's his name, and uh, Isis. Just as you look at what they're doing, just give me your gut. Overall, I mean, they're into social media. They're on Twitter. They're on Vine. 
They're on YouTube. They're producing top-notch video. They have magazines. What do you see just as an ad executive? Well, I think it's important, first of all, to sort of understand what a what a brand is. Yeah. Um, a brand is not a logo. Brand is not a television commercial. It's not a print ad. Um, a brand is what exists in the minds of your consumers. It's their impression of you. That's the brand. That's the brand. And so it is the sum total of your logo, your ads, your even the way you answer the phone at your business yeah. or whatever contributes to building a brand in the side inside the minds of your consumers. So um, ISIS has been very effective in creating an image. Yeah. I hate to almost um, give them the legitimacy of calling it a brand. It's a, it's it's a, a cause. Yeah. It's a um, – you know, it's it's a message that they are propagating out there, um, and they've certainly been very effective in getting it out there in a really quick. I mean, it's in quick way. Everyone's heard of ISIS, right? And it's scary. Yeah, but two years ago, you probably never even heard of them. That's right. Isn't so? So really, I mean, to me, that is the point. We people, everyone seems to have heard of them, and they're terrorizing. It's right. scary. So mission accomplished. Yeah, but we were discussing uh, with some colleagues of mine the other day, is it easier to um, propagate a negative brand versus a positive brand? Yeah, like a a bonded positive brand. Yeah, a real company, a real product, a real service. Um, What what, what did you guys decide? Well, we think it's absolutely much easier to propagate a negative uh, brand. Yeah. Um, Well, 10 videos. But because you can show sort of these shocking – um, just disgusting, horrendous. Th- horrendous things. Yeah, and and people have this period interest to to watch and to see. Yeah, um, and it shocks them, and it's advanced their cause or advanced the idea of what they're doing in a very quick way. Well, and it seems like too, I guess too, you can get the president of the free world to comment on you a lot easier. You know, you go kidnap two hundred Christians. And kill him. Everyone's talking, right? And and even he, you know, admitted that they had underestimated, yeah, uh, ISIS and their their strength, their resources, all those things. And so, it, it appears that uh, um, our government, as well as others, are playing catch up now. Yeah. Well, and I wonder, how do you? I mean, it's interesting. A government. How often does a government ever have to really fight a brand? You know what I mean? So it's like we fought the brand. I mean it fought like a, th- a thought like communism. It's hard for a government to beat communism because it's a concept. It's a theory. So part of the brand of ISIS that's generating recruiting is a theory. It's a, it's a belief set. Right. It's not so, – you're not selling widgets. So they have to actually do two things. They you – know, you know, the positive countries in the world need to – uh, control their ground offensive. Right. We need to we need to fight that, but we also have to figure out a way to dull the impact of their social media. Yeah, their messaging. Yeah, and um, that is so much less controllable than oh, it used to be. Yeah. I mean, you could simply shut down a television station. Yeah, back in the day, there was three. <laughs> yeah. yeah, or or keep them, you know, from putting a, a print ad in a magazine, but because. Um, the democracy, you know, democracy of, of social media, it can just – anybody can do it. Anybody can put it out there and mm. it can and 
gain uh, strength and uh, power just by the the sheer weight of how much people are doing it. I mean, that is one thing they're doing is they you know they have they have the ability and a network to get uh, like ninety thousand tweets out. So they'll post a new video, and they can immediately get it into a network of about ninety thousand. Twitter followers, which, by the way, the government keeps trying to shut down. But the minute they shut it down, they immediately transfer it to a new one and they transfer it to a new one and they transfer it to a new one. So then all of a sudden these videos can go viral. And then the virility, which is a whole other thing, which, again, is about democracy. So the irony of this is they're using democracy to perpetuate their messaging. And we are trying to stop the message. Something about their messaging is so attractive that it's it's not just beheadings they're showing. They're also trying to lure these kids by showing them playing video games, well, eating pizza. Yeah. But I think, I think the power of their messaging to uh, young people is that right now they are the pirates. Yeah. The renegade. They're the renegades. And there's always some sort of, uh, you know, romantic notion of being the pirates. Yeah. Um, even though within their ideology set – um, I don't think they would allow for a lot of freedom. Yeah, there's probably not a lot of video game playing once you're out in the field. <laughs> um, but that's, I think, what is drawing some you know disenfranchised youth or whatever because they see them as being associated with this renegade. They even have a black flag. You know, yeah, what I mean, when yeah. you think about it. Oh yeah, um, it doesn't have a skull and crossbones on it, but it's yeah. And so there's an image of this renegade kind of. Uh, well, it's like the bikers. I mean, uh, who were the Hell's Angels? All these biker groups used to be so attractive, like in the 70s, that, I mean, it's probably targeting the same group. Mm-hmm. And by the way, probably a group that's sitting home bored, waiting to be messaged, you know, waiting for information. Or they, you know, they, in some ways in their lives have, have been bullied or whatever, or felt on the outside, and, and here's a group that's now going to um, accept include them, them, include them, yeah. and give them... Uh, you know, a family per se, and colleagues, and colors and, to and, wear, and colors, and a and a cause to to be a part of. So that's the cause side of it. Let's let's do this. We're talking with Jeff Bagley, who is a friend, but also creative director at the University of Utah Marketing and Communications Department. He's also been a big ad executive in his history. He seems like he's a really he should be an old man with all of the experience he has, but he's just a just a young punk. Um, also, by the way, he's put together two or three uh, Super Bowl ads, commercials, and so he knows what he's talking about, friends. We're going to come back more with Jeff Bagley, and I want to talk about the cause side of this, and then just get into some of the techniques they're using, and see you know what they're what they're doing, and then hopefully see if we can't come up with something for what we do. What do you do with a cause? How do you go to war with a cause? This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. You're listening to Brigham Young University's BYU Radio right here on Sirius XM friends to the Matt Townsend show. Right now we're exploring the the, the topic of ISIS and uh, their incredible savvy 
their branding savvy, their market messaging. I mean, their media usage. They're putting out like high quality, high def video that um, I'm assuming would take some some pretty good skills. Uh, joining us is Jeff Bagley, a friend of mine, but more importantly, uh, an ad executive, somebody that's been in big time, you know, ad agencies creating real true marketing materials to influence audiences. Some of his past clients have been iOmega and Intel. He's created uh, um, Super Bowl commercials for Intel. You will have seen him, all of those old bunny suit, silver bunny suit Intel commercials back in the day. Those were all, uh, you know, squeezed out of Jeff's brain. <laughs> but Jeff Bagley, thanks for joining us. It's not, good to be here. Not an ISIS expert. No. But an ad expert. But the deal is... I mean, what does it take to go put together high quality commercial or tell I mean, they're ads as well as videos of terroristic acts, as well as all of this branding. I'm assuming these people are probably educated. Oh, absolutely. Trained. Yeah. These aren't just a bunch of guys running around in the middle of the desert. Yeah. I mean, I think it's also with with how technology and even camera equipment has changed over the years. It's it's uh, you can produce higher quality uh, images today. With an you, iPhone, really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, back in the earlier days, you, you know, if it wasn't, wasn't on film, yeah. it was really bad video and it looked bad, like, you know, low-end, low-produced type stuff. But now with digital SLRs and things, you can actually produce a really high-end looking image yeah. uh, without a lot of money or even sometimes a lot of expertise. Yeah. Um, so... They've been able to put that together. But then they, they can put together, I mean, a message. They're getting, it seems like, the messaging of their cause right. And yeah. it also seems that they know their audience because I guess that's part of it too. Like you're saying, if a brand exists in the mind of your consumers, you've got to know who your consumer is, I guess, right? Yeah, and, and, and they're obviously you know recruiting younger people. And one thing we know about millennials is that they – they like companies that have that are attached to a cause, yeah. Um, and so they're not just selling you a pair of shoes, but they'll donate part yeah. of the portion of the cost of those shoes to buy shoes for somebody else. Um, you buy a bag, and they'll they'll put food into it for another person. So I mean, they like they like companies that have you know causes and yeah. messages attached to them. And so certainly, ISIS is a cause. It, it, it has, a, has a, a very negative message attached to it, but it's a cause nonetheless. Do you sense it's easier to sell uh, that cause than it would be to sell a widget? Yeah. I mean I think – like I said, we talked earlier uh, with some colleagues of mine that it's probably easier to sell a negative cause mm -hmm. than it is to sell – a positive cause. Are they selling two causes, it seems like? Like a negative cause is terrorism, which is kind of way easy because you just got to do bad stuff. But then they have to also sell the message that is more positive and alluring to that kid they're trying to get out of New Zealand to come be part of the team. Or is it the same messaging? You tell me. Well, I think they've done a couple of things and, and they've shown some normalcy in their life there. And, and I think they do that because they don't want to be just simply one dimensional. Yeah. That they're just terrorists. <laughs> um, 
or they're just warriors. We have family life. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so they want to show that there there is some dimension to what their society of their of their hope of their society yeah. is going to be. Now I understand that that ISIS um whereas most sort of brutal regimes tend to hide their atrocities, ISIS has done the exact opposite. Put them out there. Yeah, put them out there and which obviously has um rapidly increased their their awareness of who they are, their name, what have you, and their cause. Um but their goal is is not necessarily to make friends. Their goal is to bring about, you know, Destruction. Armageddon. Yeah, they want people to be pissed off enough. Yeah, um, to fight. Well, maybe that's it. I mean, they want a caliphate. They they want uh they want a country that is Islamically ruled, righteous, clean. So interestingly, that is part of the cause. I mean, you know what I mean? So all of a sudden, these disenfranchised people all over the world get the message. They can go, by the way, where they tend to be going isn't – they just they do go to Vine. They do go to YouTube. They can customize their messaging there. They can get people to subscribe. But they also go to other websites like ask.com and all of these ones where they're kind of just message boards and you can talk and ask questions. They even ask their their warriors, the jihadists, to go and actually – Use social media to talk to people and tell them their stories. So, what's that called? Well, the the one thing that that they're doing that you know, and you hate to get into like legitimize yeah. this by saying, okay, they're a brand. This is what other brands right. should be doing. Do. We shouldn't be learning from yeah from this from ISIS. Yeah, except we do have to combat it. Yeah, but they, you know, you scream loud enough, long enough, <laughs> someone's going to hear you. That's right. And consistency is one of the the hallmarks of good marketing. You've got to be consistent. You can't just put one message out there and hope it's going to change the world and, and uh, you know, a flock of consumers are going to be beaten on your door. You have to keep pounding, it. pounding that message over and over and over again. Yeah. And they're doing that. They keep putting it out there and they've got a legion of, of folks that are pushing out tweets and they're consistently doing They're having a conversation. And social media is the new word of mouth. Yeah. And so – as you continue to have that conversation, you're going to continue to be top of mind, and you're going to, and you're going to gain that mind share that you that you need and want. The minute you stop talking, <laughs> it goes away. It goes away. Yeah, it goes away. And and they're not letting that go away. They keep talking, and they've got a lot of people talking with them and for them. And and any brand would love to have what we call brand evangelists, people who are so. Um, loyal to your brand, so um, enamored with what you do, whether it's a product you make or a service you provide, that they become a voice for you. Mm -hmm. Um, And they blog about your brand. They talk about it. They create user groups, what have you. Yeah, word of mouth can mm -hmm. spread it. And it's a third-party endorsement. Yeah. And those are far more powerful than actually coming from the – the company or the brand itself. And they might not even have to go to war for you, but they might be the wife of somebody who they just sent to war. So now all of a sudden they have, you know, it's multi-generational. And and also I guess this is – this isn't just – they're not just – this is nationwide. This is worldwide. You can find find a a pocket of like-minded people in every country. So you just start reaching all of these different – 
you know, global pockets. And, and and they, I guess, are very sophisticated and they have, you know, they've translated their messages in, in you know, yeah, six, languages seven, eight, across, yeah. the, across the world so that they can target people in, all over the world. We had an expert on talking about ISIS as terrorists and their his the biggest threat is going to be the local kind of rogue lone wolf type of thing and this is a kind of an idyllic model to get the doctrine to their into their minds and lone wolf it yeah so i mean that's the scary scary side of this um they also use a weird idea have you heard of um i i think it's called like native Native advertising or where they, they'll put in like a top 10 facts everyone should know about ISIS. And it looks like, oh, OK. It's coming from a legitimate source. Yeah, but in reality, it's coming from ISIS. And number seven of the top 10 is, did you know that you'll get $700 if you get married and you are a member of ISIS? No, I didn't know that. So now there's a revenue. So it's just this – it seems like normal. And then even some of the websites they put together, they're using the right, the same coloring. They're using the same – they're trying to make it look like legitimate news sources. Do you think some of these people don't even know how contrived some of this is? I mean a lot of us don't know how contrived our ad world is on social media. Do you think some people are being duped into it? Well, I mean – Absolutely, and and there are certainly lots of people out there on the internet that, internet that are duping, getting duped at yeah, left and right, and, and identity theft, and and so those things happen, and people are sucked in by all kinds of of things. Yeah, um, and if they are packaging up their messaging in, in what appears to be um, a legitimate source, um, it certainly makes those kinds of messages easier for people to believe. Yeah, what do you do so? Let's say you were called in or your team and you, you were asked to grow the, the, a great team together to combat this. Where would you begin? What should the U.S. government – not like you're going to want to tell the U.S. government what to do, <laughs> but you probably should. What, what – where do we begin to combat a cause-driven marketing approach like this? Well, I think what they've done is they've, they have established an image – and I think for some of these people that are, that go over there, it's a it's the pirate image. It's yeah. the sort of Arg, being the, yeah. the, the renegade, renegade. And like stuff like that. And so I think perhaps a place to start would be um, combating the perception of what their life is going to be like with what the reality of their life is really going to be like. Hmm. Um, the uh, um, the reality of being in 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 harm's way, the, the war, um, the control that they're going to be under. Um, the fact that they're not going to have freedoms, that they're going to be told what to do, when to do it, where to do it. Yeah. Um, and in contrast to a life of freedom, a life with agency, if you yeah. will. Yeah. Um, and I think that would be the, the contrast to make um, and do it. You got to do it in a, an emotionally powerful way. Um, there's an old average, adage in advertising: you make them laugh, you make them cry, mm. and you'll win their wallet. And you've got to you've got to hit people right. in their hearts. Yeah, and you've got to make the notion of uh, of freedom um, and all of that gives people far more attractive because mm-hmm. it might far be... more valuable than than a, a life of oppression. That's right. Well, and they're, they, maybe they're saying, "Well, I don't need the freedom if it feels this bad." You know what I mean? If I if I'm rejected, if I'm ostracized, but. Like you're saying, just show them 
what it looks like to be ostracized in Syria. <laughs> you know, right. And to – I mean you're, I, you see all these kids and stories of kids going from Canada to Minneapolis to Syria and you're thinking, what? Do you not know what that's going to be like? Just think that through. But really I guess they don't know because how would they know that? They've only been – taught what they've been taught. Right. And they all they have is a perception and an image that ISIS has been able to create in the minds of these of these people. Do do we do we even know I, I mean when we had to combat Hitler, when we had to combat communism, we took on a we took on their theory. We took on their cause. But it almost seems like this is a new kind of a war, right? This is an ad war, really. Well, that needs to be waged. Yeah, with 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 Hitler and with communism, we didn't have the media, That's and true. they didn't have the media tools. That's true. They could just write Mein Kampf and get that out. And yeah, hopefully I mean, people and, buy the book. There, you know, there wasn't really television stations right. so much in, in obviously World War Two. Right, it just was radio and whatnot, and and only a certain few people had control. Yeah, over those media outlets, and we have lost control. Yeah. Um, yeah. Of the media and the world. Well, I think the government has to go to businesses, Twitter, to shut down accounts. And so Twitter has to decide, is this good for business? I mean, it's good for America. Is it? I mean, that's that's a step we've never had to have. I mean, that's a big deal. Yeah. I mean, the democratizing of a whole media world is, has both a good side. Yeah. Because um, it allows more people to have a voice. But obviously, there's a negative side to it as well. Um, and with very desperate type folks having a voice as well. And, and just as equal of a voice, really. Yeah. I mean, because again, it's the president can get up there and say something, but he's not necessarily going to reach. In, in some respects, they have more than an equal uh, share of voice because they're willing to put a beheading on a video and put it out there. Right. And it's just so wildly, you know, intoxicating, I guess. To see something like right. this, that you know, people can't help but but look, or it's just so shocking they mm-hmm. can't believe they're doing this. And it seems like it also has to be almost a proactive thing. Like, um, I mean, I'm just trying to think who in in this war, who in NATO, who in the U.S. government's purpose is to go start creating ad messages to combat this. It, it just doesn't seem like that would exist. Well, they they have done some of it. Have they? Yeah. They have done some. They, there was uh, not too long ago the, the U.S. government put out a an anti, you know, terrorism ISIS kind of film and showed some of the reality of of. So that's it. So you just almost have to get that spread more widely, right? Yeah, and do it consistently. Consistently, and I don't think I think that's the key. That's, that's not the, happening. Yeah. yeah, you'll hear the president come out and say one thing, and then maybe show the ad, and then it dies. Yeah, but you got to keep. They need, they need to keep putting messages out there over and over again for yeah. every. Yeah, it's for every you know video they put out. We got to put out one. It's almost like it needs to be. It's a, it's a it's a war just like the ground war. Yeah, and it's just it's like the just say no campaign. It's got to be almost that prevalent in a way that it's you're hearing it as much as you used to hear just say no to drugs. Yeah, but it's got to be uh, more, more powerful, more yeah. mouth. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah, that kind of laid flat, didn't it? Right. But oh, it's so interesting. See, this is again. We our expert a couple of weeks ago basically said this isn't a this isn't a three year war. Get ready. This is a hundred year war. And his main reasoning was because you're you're fighting an ideology. You're not just fighting 
right. a war, a warrior. You're fighting an idiot. So you can go squash it, but you haven't killed the ideology. The ideology is still out there. Yeah, and the ideology is far more powerful than just a form of government. Yeah. It's more powerful than, say, communism. Yeah. Because it's, it's because like it's a belief, it's a belief yeah. system. That's true. And it's and they're promising, you know, benefits for this life and the and next, forever and the next. Well, yeah. Who doesn't want harems or whatever? Yeah. And so James that, talks about that every day. But that I mean, think of that like you're tying this to your God, right? And that's far more powerful than than combating just a uh, a political party. It's huge. Well, that's probably what drives it. I mean. If you truly believe that, this is all worth it. Yeah. Just keep pushing. Yeah. Who cares if you don't ever, you know, have freedom? Just keep pushing your message. Jeffrey Bagley. That's great, dude. I and mean, it's great that you taught us that. <laughs> now we got to go do it. I might okay, James, take a note here. Uh, call the White House. Okay. Tell him Jeff Bagley's available. He'll organize a special ops team. Okay. An advertising special ops team. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, you getting this? Yeah. I thought I thought you were my friend. Yeah. And he Jeff wants to go over to Syria and start <laughs> a new advertising office for freedom. Yeah, Can you I, hear him writing, Jeff? Yeah. He writes a lot. Okay, read that back to me, James. Uh go over to ISIS, start an advertising. Yeah. Over. Yep. Cool. Bagley, thanks, my if friend. If I die, it's your fault. <laughs> no. But see it really that's what we need. We need you know, the president to handpick a group of ad executives and put together messaging. I vote for you. <laughs> I vote for you. <laughs> Quiet. Jeff's going to kill me. <laughs> I'm dead. If I don't come back after this break, it's because Jeff got on me. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff Bagley. You're the best. Appreciate you, man. Uh, again, Jeff Bagley from University of Utah, creative director there in the marketing communications department. Just a great guy. And friend of everyone. A good man means no harm. We'll take a break. When we come back, uh, just do a a few more minutes and uh, give you a few more headlines. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Really is. Uh, it's a whole new war, folks. The same old tools we used to use. You can't just take a tank in there and just start blowing people up. You can kill people all you want. But to, how do you destroy an ideology? How do you destroy, an, especially an ideology that's so uh, tied to, you know, not just today, but eternity. It's it's so powerful. And, you know, I think one of the best ways you can do it is exactly as Jeff taught us. You, you combat it with a better story and with more clarity, with more vision. We show more and more videos of what their life is really like. Um, and I don't want to, like, glamorize their skill set, but they're – they're doing a lot of stuff right. And I guess that's part of the thing. Again, we always joke on the show about, 
you know, you can do everything you want to shut the Internet down, but it's a de- it's a democratic kind of process, right? The Internet is is a, is basically the the accumulation of a lot of people and a lot of networks and a lot of relationships. And those relationships don't go away because you order it and they don't go away just because you've killed the voice of it. The interesting thing that uh, ISIS has done is they've organized ahead. They have a they have offices that are that are spreading the message uh, that they want spread, and then they've actually deinstitutionalized it. So now, out in the out in the uh, different locations, the different regions, the different offices, they can still use similar messaging, but put out their own messages as well. So again, Boko Haram, if you remember that terrorist group that was kidnapping girls and selling them into the sex trades, and they've now avowed their allegiance to ISIS, and ISIS has accepted that. So it's a different kind of war, friends. And again, is the rest of us just sit back and, you know, eh, let's just not send troops in or whatever. You know, maybe we don't send troops or whatever. Maybe what we send is a bunch of ad executives. I got, I got about 50 millennials I'll give you. That if you put them on social media and let them go fight this war, boom, it could be pretty powerful. But again, you got to create, you got to create a better answer as well. Another cause. What is the cause? And when you think about it, World War II was very ideologically based as well, right? The difference is they didn't have the social media that we have today. So, wow. 100-year war with an interesting, interesting ideology. Yesterday we talked about superbugs, and it reminds me of a superbug. ISIS reminds me of a superbug that we we didn't inoculate. We didn't, you know, we've used all these antibiotics to try to get rid of it. Now we have this strain of ideology that is extremism, and it's it's destructive. And now we may not quite have the approach that could actually eradicate it or not maybe eradicate it but put it in its place hmm i don't know always always a uh, an interesting interesting struggle so that's uh, isis and and again i guess when it comes down to it what can you do what's your responsibility i mean you're just you know you're just going to work today <laughs> you're just going to work maybe one thing i would try to do is talk to my kids more my kids are always asking Dad, is ISIS ever going to be able to make it over here? Is ISIS this? Is ISIS that? Maybe one of the things we could do in our own circle of influence is reach out to those people that might feel more disenfranchised, find ways to get involved in in making those that are a little bit more on the outside feel a little bit more involved. Again, there's no easy answer, is there? But also, I wouldn't just assume that this is just something going on in the Middle East. Apparently, in every state now, according to Homeland Security, there's a threat in every state. There's some branch, there's some group, there's some person in every single state now that uh, that, that is on the list of people they're watching out for. ISIS, social media, they're using it all. We're going to take a break, my friends, back next hour with more ideas, more tools to help you deal with the narcissist in your life. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio.
morning, friends. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. The show where you help, we help you live healthier lives, longer lives, stronger love, better leadership. Three basic categories, three hours. Booyah! Just had a paper boy deliver us the paper. Don Quixote, our boss, he's got a side job now. Apparently he delivers the New York Times. A physical newspaper. I Wow, look at that. Because, see, I grew up in the... It's like a rotary phone. <laughs> it's like Don brought us a rotary phone. <laughs> no, this is a newspaper. Oh, wow. Is that what they look like? Have you not ever seen a newspaper? Oh, I have. Is this new? No, just not something I'm... How much do you tip the paper boy? I didn't know what I was supposed to do for Don when he came in and handed me the paper. You, it's a usually, dime. usually it's easy because they come dime? so early you don't see them. So you don't have yeah. to like have a face-to-face no, awkward weird. situation. Our paper boy walked into our studio. Yeah, he just walked right in. Next time I'm going to flip him a dime. <laughs> Where would I get a dime? I haven't used a dime for years. Isn't that weird? Have you used a dime lately? Yeah. Get me a dime. No. James, get me a dime. <laughs> like, no. <laughs> I don't even know where to find a dime. You, you had the newspaper all spread out across the desk. I'm like, you know that's online. Yeah. There's a website for that. Yeah, but this is different because this gets your fingers dirty. Right. So you want to get your hands in the newspaper. And the smell. Nothing better than ink poisoning. Stop uh, puffing the newspaper, please. But honestly, <laughs> it's, it's my new thing because it, it brings me back to my old days. When I'd wake up, you know, at 6, 7, I'd pull the paper out. Just sitting there in my boxer shorts, reading the paper. So every day, the second hour of the show, going to kind of go through this nostalgic Yeah. Here we have a experience. newspaper. Yeah. That's magical. Yeah. It's, it's really cool. I have some positive news. What? A lot of times the news is kind of negative. Maybe yeah. it has some controversy, yeah. some conflict. ISIS. This is actually good news. What? The dollar has hit a 12-year high against the euro and basically every other major currency on the planet. Really? Victory. Wow. Sort of. Apparently, it's because the U.S. economy is doing well. Yeah. Even better than Bitcoin? I don't know. Bitcoin's doing rather well. Yeah. We looked it up. We yeah, looked we up the, rate, the, uh, the worth of a Bitcoin. It was almost $300 a coin. Yeah, they, were, they were on a, a roll. So the U.S. economy is doing well. The Federal Reserve may be getting ready to raise rates. They're going to meet later on today. Isn't it funny? Depending what word she says. If she uses, I can't remember the word, but they, if they say a certain word, it changes everything. Yeah, it, it turns into uh, the whole tea leaves thing and That's people so are guessing. Weird. and Because they don't just come out and say they're going to do it. They The tendency of, you know, they have all these codified language they use and people try to decipher what's there. We need to do more codified language. The other, the other aspect is other economies are lowering their rates because they're struggling, which makes the United States a great place to invest. We're rolling in it. And so all this money's coming from overseas and that raises the value of the dollar against all of the It's good to be an American. So there you go. But you know, it's, I thought with Obama in there. We were going to just tank. Well, that's what certain people said. Yeah. Who do you trust anymore? Nobody. Everyone's trying to pull you one direction. Yeah. Including one direction. Ah. 
You don't want to listen to that. Hillary Clinton. There's new poll numbers I found interesting. I know you said you're not really interested in this pre-pre-pre-election type stuff. Blah, 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 blah. But a CNN opinion research poll shows that 44% of people now have an unfavorable opinion of Hillary Clinton. Really? Well, we'd call them Republicans. This is the highest it's been since June of 2008. Oh. Shortly after she... Benghazi. No, she uh, conceded the Democratic nomination to oh, oh, Barack yeah, Obama in yeah, 2008. Yeah. The poll was conducted during the recent email issues, but her unfavorable ratings have her numbers have been rising. Her unfavorable numbers, oh. right? So her favorable numbers have been dipping for quite a while. That's now. why people are saying, "Put Al Gore in. Al Gore needs to run." The poll also found that Clinton's honesty and trustworthy numbers are falling. She was at 56% of people a year ago. Now it's down to 50%. So trustworthy mm. and on, uh, honesty has dropped, while more people say they are proud. They would be proud to have her as president. More people are saying they'd be proud to have her as president. Yeah, that number has gone from 50% in March of 2014 to 57% today. So trustworthy and honesty has dropped, yeah. while proud to have her as president has well, risen. I think that explains it all right there. It's really odd. We don't necessarily care if we can trust our president. As long as we can be proud of him. Yeah, but we're happy to have you here. Welcome aboard. Hop on in. <laughs> I, 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 we I, are a weird people, aren't we? I read that last night knowing that you're not a big fan of these types of poll numbers, but that yeah. one is kind of odd. That was fun. Honest and trustworthy down, proud to be president up. Maybe it's because people are realize that or they respect what she's going to have to go through to become president. Because they're going to be like, she's going to have to fess up for everything, and I can respect that. She'll be well, proud of her. And who wouldn't love to have our first female president? I mean, that's probably what yeah. they're all like. Let's get our first female president in here. Oh, except this one's kind of a liar. <laughs> ah, whatever. <laughs> but so I mean, maybe that's it, really. So if you want to win, maybe you just need to be a female Democrat that can run against her. I don't know. I don't know. Seems rather uh, odd that you have one number falling, another number rising, mm-hmm. and trustworthy honesty. Maybe it's something to do with the polls. Could be. It could just be just people don't know who she is, and they're just saying yes to get people off the phone and move on with their evening. Well, but, a lot. Be, like I do when I get polling. Is that what you calls. do? Yeah. yeah. Yes, you, you just answer, answer yeah. yes to everything. And, yeah. BB Netanyahu's polls were down, but yet he won. Romney was, was polls were up, and yet he lost. So I, I don't know that I'd trust the polls yet. We talked uh, a couple days ago about California and their water issues. Yes. Thanks to the increasingly urgent drought situation in California, the state's restaurants and bars are now prohibited from serving water without a customer requesting it. (laughs) So you can't just have water on the table. Yeah, no. Just give you an empty cup. The State Water Resource Control Board announced a new regulation on Tuesday, making the practice, which had already been adopted by certain areas already, statewide, the fine $500. Ooh, so if you give me water when I don't ask for it, $500 fine. Yeah. has to be requested. Then you can bring the person a glass of water. Water! Can I get some water? Interesting. What, what, if they, what if you ask for it and they don't give it to you? What's the fine? I don't know. Poor service. You get to leave. Bad tip. You cut back on the tip. Yep. All those sorts of, sorts of things. We like to take it from every angle, folks. There was another story. We're covering you. Every angle. Do, oh. you, do you need a story from the New York Times? I've got no, it it's here. quite all right. I, I've found my own. Ikea is asking uh, that their yes. customers stop playing hide-and-seek in the store. <laughs> it's getting out of hand. I think, honestly, they're not playing hide-and-seek. They're just lost. 
They're stuck. They can't figure out the That maze. was my first thought. They're not playing. That's just – that's a spin. See, Ikea is spinning that. I got really bored walking through that store. Just, is it over yet? I mean, really, is there any more furniture I have not seen here? That's where I got Can plantar I go, fasciitis. One group in Sweden signed up 32,000 people to play a game of hide-and-seek in a local store, but Ikea nixed the idea because of safety concerns. Oh, yeah. The Netherlands event may have been inspired by a company-sanctioned hide-and-seek game in a Belgian store last summer that attracted 500 people. <laughs> so it's like a marketing thing initially, but now they got all these 32,000. They're like, oh, it's a little much. We can't do that. I anymore. think you just say, if you're going to play, you got to pay. Everybody has to buy something in the store. See, and I think you can play hide-and-seek in the store. Just don't run around and cause a problem. Yeah. You just go over here and stand. That's and right. then your friend calmly walks around the store looking for people. looks like you're shopping. Yeah. And you just sort of play this game without acting all excited and When my wife, when we around. go... I just go find one of the bedroom displays, and I just get in bed. Come get me. And I just, I'll just be te- here. Text me when you're done. Use that find yeah. my phone It's app weird, on. though. It's so weird when you're just sleeping there, and, like, some family comes in, and they're checking out the bed and the sheets. And Well, it's, it's interesting about Ikea, how they have all those room setups and everything. Yeah. I mean, I've had breakfast in Ikea, like, one of oh, their yeah. kitchens. I've oh, taken, yeah. like, orange juice and everything, just sat down in the kitchen at the dining table. And just? Yeah, and just had breakfast. Really? Yeah. I've showered. Yeah. I've showered at Ikea. <laughs> it's weird. Did, they didn't have a problem with that? They did. Okay. But I just said I was playing hide-and-seek with the other 500. <laughs> I don't think that that would inf- like change the situation at all, actually. Well, you'd think if they were worried about it, they'd put locks on those fake bathrooms. And not put <laughs> water in the showers. Interesting thing, too. You'd think that they'd have drains. They don't. There's no drains in those showers. Wow. Yep. Hey, another tidbit brought to you by the Matt Townsend Show. Tidbits to help your life better. Sponsored by Ikea. How how do you deal with your narcissistic tendencies? Mine? Yeah. Oh, I don't even notice them. Really? It's not a problem for you? That's how you deal with them? (laughs) It's not a problem for me. It's all those whacked up people around me. They don't seem to understand how special I am. Do you have a friend that's a narcissist? Do you even know what a narcissist is? How about somebody that just thinks they can do no wrong? They think the entire world revolves around them. They're just so into themselves that they don't even notice how they're impacting you. Well, there's a professional term called narcissism, It's uh, and we're going to be getting into it. We're going to be talking to Professor Preston Nee, and he's going to uh, – he's written an article on it. He's going to be teaching us how to recognize – a narcissist, how to make sure you also don't get pulled into their world and really lose your identity. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We're talking about narcissism, those selfish people, when we come back right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Do you have that one friend who just believed that they can do nothing wrong? You know, they're the cat's pajamas. They'll never see it any other way. Well, today, narcissists are identified with brash self-aggrandizement. It can be tempting to quickly brand someone as a narcissist, but what's the real definition 
author of How to Successfully Handle Narcissists, Professor Preston Nee joins us right now on the phone to shed some light on the subject. Professor Nee, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Good morning, Matt. It's good to be back on your show. Great, great to have you back and appreciate uh, your willingness to teach us this because narcissism really is, in my practice, and I just do more relationship coaching, but I, I bet weekly i have somebody that comes in you know either having self-diagnosed their or diagnosed their partner as a narcissist i hear it everywhere teach us what is narcissism okay that's a good question uh first of all let me just say uh for the audience that my my background is in communication studies yeah and much of what i help people with as far as narcissism have to do with helping people communicate better more effectively with narcissists and also to help narcissists themselves uh, become more humane. Uh, there, are, there, there is a, a, a large overlap uh, between psychology and communication studies, so, so I'll touch upon the uh, psychological dimensions as well. So to answer your question, narcissism, in a nutshell, is usually someone who has sustained some type of trauma, um, usually earlier in, in childhood or, or in his or her youth, and the traumatic experience causes this person to compensate with a false image of him or herself. Hmm. Um, so this person, in, in, in essence, becomes an actor or, or an actress rather than the real self. They're playing and a role. This, yeah, exactly. And this role, as you mentioned, Matt, is often uh, superior, uh, comes across as superior to others, self-aggrandizing, and ge- in general, very uh, manipulative uh, and uses others for uh, one's own benefit. It's almost like they don't even they don't even acknowledge that you are a part of any of this. It's like, right? Who are you? This isn't even about you. This is about me. It's it's kind of so self centric that you you kind of you almost just assume every other human is an extension of you. That's exactly right. Um, to many pathological narcissists, who you are as a family member, as a romantic partner, as a friend, as a coworker is incidental. You basically exist to serve the narcissist's needs. Mm, that's scary. It is. It is. And um, what's what's uh, even more interesting and relevant is that narcissists also, you know, part of that role they play is oftentimes very charming. So at, at least at the beginning, when you meet a classic narcissist, he or she can take your breath away. Yeah. Um, to, you, can feel, you, you may have a very positive impression of this person because he knows how to charm, she knows how to flirt, and you feel very special because they want something from you. So like a good salesperson, yeah. they'll make the moves on you to make you feel like the, you're the most important person in the world. So, they, so, you, so you want to hire them, you want to include them in your life, but pretty soon you'll discover that uh, what the narcissist uh, does is always on his or her terms, and when you don't agree with it, um, the narcissist either becomes very upset and and gets angry with you, or just uh, walks away and gives you the cold treatment. That's when the real manipulation, mm. uh, the negative side of the mani- manipulation, begins. And, and we've we've talked about this on other shows where um, they the narcissist because they're so kind of self involved that they they become highly manipulative and. Um, in, in, in the end, one of the signs, I guess, that you know you're dealing with a narcissist is you think you're going crazy because you can't like win an argument with them because they don't they they don't play by boundaries or rules like you do. Exactly, they just kind and of play with the language any way they need it. 
Right, and a common trait. Uh, narcissists are often very, very good manipulators, and one of the things they do in a dysfunctional relationship is that it'll make it look like it's your fault, mm. that, that, that uh, you're not helping them get what they want. Yeah, I mean, I guess so, so, that's, so that's a sign. And you're to huh? blame, and you're not good enough to serve the narcissist's needs. Interesting. I mean, it really, and yet you don't know, do you? You don't know. It's hard. It's hard. It takes, it takes awareness. But the good news is um, that once we become aware of the, the common characteristics of a pathological narcissist, um, then it's easy to spot them. It, it, it becomes quite easy. And then you can um, take particular measures to draw boundaries and, and handle a narcissist much more successfully. So awareness is really the first step towards dealing with any narcissist uh, successfully. And in your, in your book and in your classes and stuff, what, what are, so if we just had to kind of narrow it down to maybe five traits that you're with a classical narcissist, what would those traits be? We've probably already mentioned them, but what are they again? Okay, so uh, in no particular order, um, a narcissist typically likes to talk about himself or herself a lot. So even if you try to um, join in, um, this person will probably switch the conversation quickly back to himself. And yeah. then if, there, if you have a different opinion, the narcissist would typically uh, uh, ignore it and dismiss it because you know, who, who you are as a person is, is less important. Uh, narcissists oftentimes like to brag like to show off, and this can be done physically, through clothing, through, uh, through status, yeah. through um, uh, many measurements of, of e- egocentricity. Um, narcissists like to break rules. Uh, they, they think they're above the law, and so they, they, may, they may break minor rules such as traffic laws and, and cutting line and under-tipping, or um, they may break major rules such as white-collar crimes hmm. or um, some type of uh, extortion, you know, emotional if not financial. Or fidelity. Um, it's, all, it's all kind of under the cover, so yeah. it's hard to spot um, on the surface. But uh, deep down, they're, you know, they have all these mechanisms that help them get what they want at other people's expense. Mm. And it's so I guess the downside is if you're if you're married to someone like this, if you are working with someone like this, I mean, if they're your boss, it puts you in a weird predicament. You you don't necessarily ah, you don't want to just end it or leave it. And, you know, you're kind of you're in trouble either way. If you push too hard, they're going to just, you know, get down on you. And if you just sit there and take it, you might start believing that you are of no worth. Right, it's very difficult to be in a, uh, a daily relationship with a narcissist at work or at home. There are ways to, to deal with it, uh, but in general it's difficult. And one of my uh, recommendations is if you have the option of keeping your distance from a narcissist, uh, try to keep your distance as much as possible because most narcissists don't change. Um, even if you want to talk with them, they're, they're, less li- they're unlikely to change uh, until something happens in their lives that's kind of a crisis. Um, they, they break the law and get caught, or they, they go through divorce. That's when some narcissists become uh, soul-searching and, and begin to wonder, what have I done to cause this? Hmm. I mean, I guess part of it is just having uh, the awareness that you are a narcissist. You need right. to start knowing it instead of, I mean, you pro- people that are narcissists have probably been called that many times, um, but or just selfish. You're so selfish. But I guess you're saying we need the breakdown, huh? We need to have a we need to bottom out, have a bad moment that might 
shake us. Right, exactly. Some, many narcissists need to hit bottom, if you will. I have a major, a major life crisis in order to begin to reflect on, on their actions. And some narcissists, without the crisis that I just mentioned, um, they know they're narcissists and they don't care. Yeah. Uh, because narcissists, you know, they, they do get what they want um, often, uh, but it's, through, it's, at a, it's at other people's expense. And for um, less aware narcissists, they really don't care um, because they're getting what they want, and they don't relate, basically. They don't know what intimacy is. They don't know what a real relationship is, which is you know, reciprocal. Mm. Um, they, they just know how to use. And, and, and it's a role they're playing. So they don't even know how to be themselves. So They don't. And uh, we're talking about pathological narcissists here because yeah. um, you know, everyday narcissism is pretty prevalent in our society. But for the pathological narcissists, um, they don't want to admit that they have had hurt and pain and trauma earlier in life, which really made them feel like ugly ducklings. And it's, too, it's just too painful to confront. Uh, and they prefer to have the false image uh, project onto the world and let that be the self rather than taking care of oneself and, and trying to do some real healing so that the real self emerges and you can join the human race mm. from that uh, healing. And so this really is just a cover-up for that earlier pain. That's interesting, too, because you know it's one thing to be ha- handling and dealing with a narcissist. It's another one to you know, just recognize they're they're just a broken human, and they've just created a really strong facade to go counter to where they were broken. Right. One of the one of the many tips that I offer in my book, um, in mild situations, in mild encounters with a narcissist, is to is to um, respond with a smile, mm. uh, an empathetic smile, rather than with a frown, and instead of being bothered by the narcissist. Um, just say to yourself, it must not be easy. It must not, you know, my colleague is always showing off and grabbing attention. It must not be easy to um, be someone who, who needs such approval. My, um, my, my partner is always talking about uh, yeah, his accomplishments. It, it must not be easy to, um, to be seeking attention at all times. Yeah. Um, in, my, in relatively mild situations, you just got to smile it off because otherwise, like you said, uh, a narcissist can drive you crazy. Yeah, totally. And, and yeah, and then all of a sudden you become somebody you're not, and now we have two people that are living identities that they really aren't. And, yeah, and that's uh, that's a real definition of dysfunctional relationship. Oh, that's but that's how you know that's how coaches make all their money. <laughs> is is that very basic, typical relationship breakdown? One narcissist, one person that's believing the narcissist, codependent. Boom! There we go. We're talking with Preston Knee, and he is. Uh, if you go to his website, kneepreston.com, n i preston dot com, he is teaching us how to successfully handle narcissists. Uh, he's got workshops, books, all this uh, wonderful tools for us, and. Uh, one of the ways I found Preston was he was he was actually mentioned in a book, one of my favorite books called Quiet, which is about introversion. He's very skilled at, at helping teach, you know, to, how to handle kind of touchy people, people that are struggling a little bit in certain ways. Narcissism is one of the ways he's he's uh, he's helping. We're going to take a break when we come back more with Preston Knee right here on the Matt Townsend Show.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today, we are talking about how to deal with the narcissist in your life, kind of the selfish person, the person that thinks the world revolves around them, the one that always blames you for everything. It's exhausting. And yet, uh, one of the keys to this, I think, and we're learning from um, Preston Nee, is simply the idea that you got to learn, you got to figure out and learn uh, some skills, some tools to handling the narcissist. Otherwise, in the end, you you might just react to them. And when you react to somebody that's dysfunctional, it usually is just not going to turn out very good for anybody. So Preston Nee is joining us from the website kneepreston.com. Nee Preston is N-I Preston, P-R-E-S-T-O-N, Com. Preston received a master's of science degree in business administration. He's a tenured faculty member of the communication studies department at Foothill College in Silicon Valley, California. He also holds a certificate of management development program at Harvard University and is an alumnus fellow of the Stanford University Human Rights Education Initiative. Preston, welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you. And I appreciate you being here Um Talk talk a little bit about. I know in your book uh, on narcissism, you talk about twelve. Uh, I guess what is it like? Is it twelve different skills or tools that you can yes, use? Feet. Yeah, talk about that. Okay, um, let me just uh, throw out a couple here. Um, I think when it comes to dealing with narcissists, um, first and foremost, it's important to know what your rights are, so that when you are under emotional duress or emotional coercion from a narcissist, um, you know where the boundaries are and where you stand. Uh, and in my book, you just mentioned human rights as one of my uh, backgrounds. Uh, in my book, I, I offer a list of fundamental human rights that's partially based on the United Nations Declaration of Human Rights. And our rights as individuals, yeah. uh, as long as we don't violate other people, include the following. You have the right to set your own priorities. You have the right to say no without feeling guilty. You have the right to choose your own happy, healthy lives. You have the right to get what you pay for. You have the right to uh, make your own decisions, uh, so on mm. and so forth. Uh, it's, it's important to know what our rights are, because oftentimes victims of narcissism, um, they, they either don't know or they're talked into uh, thinking that they don't have these rights. Yeah. I'm your boss, so you don't have these rights. Or I'm your friend, or I'm your parent, and I know better, so you don't have these rights. So it's important to know what your rights are, and then um, figure out ways to draw, uh, to, to utilize effective action to deal with the narcissist. Um, these tools can, can range from humor, which I talked about uh, in the last segment, to knowing different ways to say no. Um, knowing how to say no is really uh, part of the art of communication. You can just say no using that word bluntly, or you can say, for example, uh, I prefer, if your narcissistic friend wants to use your car and you know, and you know it's not a good idea, yeah. you can either say no outright, or if you want to be a little bit more diplomatic, you can say, you know, it's important to me that I keep my car for my own use, or I prefer not to uh, lend out my car, or, um, uh, or I, I'm uncomfortable uh, lending out my car. So there are various ways of saying no while maintaining good relationships, and you can use some of these skills uh, at home or, or at the workplace. When a narcissist really intrudes upon your space, uh, it's, it's very, very important to consider consequence and, and how to use consequence as a tool to really get the narcissist to pause and think twice about his or her actions. Um, 
like so a that, consequence. Now violated. And, and this is important, isn't it? Because it, it sounds like what you're saying is, um, I mean, they don't. They're going to use the language to manipulate anyway. Right. So having a, a logical discussion probably isn't going to sway the narcissist. That's exactly right. So almost language is almost useless, isn't it, dealing with a narcissist? So all, what you need yeah. more of is a consequence. Yeah, a consequence. And usually um, the, the best way to articulate consequence is to come up with uh, two or three options, all of which work for you, uh, but they're strong, and mm. they compel the narcissist to think twice about what they're doing. Uh, in my book, Consequence is listed as uh, seven different types of power you can use, um, depending on the situation. So, so it's almost like dealing with a child. We know that as parents, uh, children need boundaries and consequences. Uh, it's very similar with a narcissist. But, nar- but when you deal with an adult narcissist, you need adult consequences that are, that are uh, fair, reasonable, and yet very strong so that your rights are not violated. Yeah. And it's so hard because um, you, you keep thinking in your head that they're just normal like you. So you just keep trying to deal with them normally. And yet it just kind of – it's like quicksand. It just digs you in deeper, right? Right. Many people try to change a narcissist by talking with them through time-consuming conversations. Um, the efforts are admirable, but they rarely work because right. the narcissist, again, uh, unless they go through some pain in life, they rarely begin to think about the consequences of their actions. And the consequence is the fastest way to facilitate the pain. Exactly. Pain is a good teacher. And, and uh, unfortunately, narcissists, um, uh, for narcissists, uh, that's really their primary way of learning for the pathological narcissist. So, when you, so an example, uh, if I'm stuck in, in, I'm in my marriage and I feel stuck and I feel like they just keep taking advantage of me and taking advantage of me, um, what would be a consequence I could set if, you know, if they keep having conversations where I'm the one that's blamed for everything? Okay, so um, my answer is going to be pretty tough here, but we're talking about tough love here. Yeah. When it, when it comes to dealing with narcissists, you can't be too soft because mm-hmm. the narcissist will, will spot you and just you know, eat you eat alive. You up, yeah. So hypothetically, here's an example. If my partner uh, is a narcissist and refuses to listen to me about my concerns and my feelings, uh, I may offer the following. You know, I, I love you, I care about you, and I care about our relationship. And at the same time, it's, it really doesn't – it's not working for me. That, um, that I'm being used in, in this way um, where there's really just no love and I'm being manipulated to, to, to do all these things for you. So what I would like to do is um, to give us some space here. Um, and I really want to propose that we go to marital therapy, marital counseling. Um, and I know you're against it, uh, but I'm going to say move to a friend's house for a couple of weeks so that you can, so yeah. we can both think about this. And let me know what you decide about this in a couple of weeks. Uh, if you are really against it, uh, I have to think about what I want to do next. Uh, if you're in favor of it, uh, let's go ahead and schedule at least one or two sessions um, before I you know, decide to move back in. Yeah, so that, I, that was just a hypothetical, but it's strong consequence. Very and strong. it offers a couple of options. So, he doesn't put the, uh, so it doesn't come across as a threat. Mm-hmm. The, you, the narcissist has, has a couple of options to consider. Uh, the options have to do with his or her, the narcissist's best interest, actually. Right. Uh, but it, it is only through the consequence that the narcissist begins to think twice about what they're doing. See, that's it, isn't it? If, they're not, if you're not strong, the narcissist will just keep bending 
and just keep bending and just keep you know using you and flipping you back and forth. So you need to be assertive. Exactly. If you're not, the narcissist will probably use you more often, use you uh, more intensely, mm-hmm. and uh, and just think nothing of it. And in the end, you're the one that's broken. You end up be you're the one that's right. And when the narcissist is done with you, uh, he or, he or she will oftentimes just disappear. Yeah. And you're wondering what happened because you're, you're left empty and you're left left scattered on the side of the road while the narcissist is on to the next conquest. Hmm. Yeah, I really see that a lot in my own practice. And and a lot of times you might take that stand, for example, where, you know, I, we need help and I can't continue to do this if we're not going to get the help. So and then the separation kind of idea. And then I see so many times that the narcissist in their narcissism will just still let it die. Mm-hmm. But, but they, they, they let it die again, not because they're evil, horrible person, but simply because they are a broken child. Yeah, they're unable to engage in real relationships, real meaningful relationships. Yeah. And then so they don't have love in their lives unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but many of them don't realize this until until much later in life, again, usually through crisis. But this to me is so powerful, Preston, because at some point we have to own even if you're dealing with a highly manipulative narcissist, you still have to own your skills and your tools and you've got to be strong and you can keep just keep calling it being nice that's well, that's not nice i want to be nice but you if you're not so strong you're a victim. you are yeah. being a victim yeah and you got to take your life back because yeah. if you don't take your life back um you know the nar- you're simply um permitting the narcissist you're giving the narcissist permission to take advantage of you uh, until you know until either he or she is done with you or until you decide to, you know, you reach the breaking point. Yeah. It really, you, you always uh, talk to, I think, about you got you got to have a plan B. So some of this can't just be ad-libbed in the moment. You really need to think through exactly. your next step. Yeah, plan B and sometimes plan C. Yeah. You know, the, these uh, these contingency plans are really part of the consequence that uh, that would be uh, very wise and crucial to consider. I always I always joke that um you know 70% of divorces in the world are filed by women, but almost invariably once they're serious and they go take that step, I usually have a fairly malleable man that follows her in. Yeah. Um because he finally he didn't he never thought it would go this far. Yes. And then we've got someone to work with, but a lot of times by that point it's just too far. Gone. Right. You you can you can uh go much further with um with words and a heavy bat and and the consequence is is the bat. Yeah. Uh, without for narcissists without the consequence um they they won't even begin to pay attention to you. Yeah. You 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 also talk a lot about boundaries and the big problem I know with a narcissist are the boundaries. They they just can't keep them. They don't right. do that. That's not in their repertoire. So by setting boundaries, but that also means you got to be proactive enough to think ahead. What are my boundaries? What will I not take anymore? Exactly. And uh, the boundaries can be consequences that you come up with ahead of time. Uh, for example, if I have a narcissistic friend who tends to be late um, and, and keeps me waiting for half an hour or more right. each time, uh, instead of 
waiting, I'll just say to my friend ahead of time, you know, I want to I get together with you, uh, and, and I also know that you have a tendency to be late, which has happened the last three times we've gotten together. So I will wait uh, an extra five minutes. If you don't show up, I'm going to go ahead and do what I, you know, do what yeah. I need to do, yeah. and uh, we'll just get together another time, or we'll, instead of getting together, we'll talk on the phone sometime. Yeah, or, or just go to the event. Yeah, just go to the event without the narcissist. I I guess that's part of it, too. We have to change and learn. I mean, if you're living with a narcissist, but you keep being surprised by it, then you haven't learned, right? So at some point, we got to get our own system where, you know, I know you're always going to be late, so I'm just going to leave to be on time. And if, you know, when you want to show up, show up. Yeah, yeah, this... This this um, example we're using reminds me of an interesting example uh, of an interesting situation I encountered when I was a young professor at, at my college about 23 years ago. Um, one of my colleagues um, ha- had this exact tendency of, of being late. So one time we're supposed to get together for lunch, and he just forgot. And when I called him, he said, oh, hi, Preston, I forgot. And then he said, well, it's your fault, you know, because you didn't remind me. Oh. So I, you know, I told him, you know, I, I like you. I, I want to be your friend, and you're a good colleague. But I can't. You know, we we can't get together if you're gonna if you, if you place it upon me to remind you every time. Yeah. So um, if you can get if you can keep in mind to be on time, then I'm happy to eat lunch with you and and hang out with you. If you just, if it's just not possible for you, I'll just just say hi to you on campus when I run into you. We're still good, but I'll just say hi to you. I'll change my way of um, relating to you. And that this was 23 years ago. He's still my friend, yeah. and he's been on time the majority of the times over the past 23 years. So my point is that we can teach narcissists, uh, many narcissists, how, how we want to be treated. Yeah, and, and I guess sometimes even having the title doesn't matter if we just lead the skills. Yes. Yeah. I think it's I think it's powerful, Preston. I, again, I see it all the time, and usually what I hear from therapists is, oh, yeah, your husband's a narcissist. This is never going away, and it's just hopeless. But So for anybody out there listening, there's hope, but there's not hope if we if two of us remain ignorant in this pattern. Right, and the hope is not invested in the narcissist right. changing. The hope is in you empowering yourself with the right skills and with, with the right awareness so that you can set boundaries, first, yeah. first and foremost, set boundaries, and then learn the communication skills to negotiate with the narcissist effectively, and then ultimately come up with strong consequences so that your life is going to be okay, no matter what. Right. Preston Nee. Appreciate it, my friend. Great stuff. Uh, everybody, go check out his website, PrestonNee.com, or NeePreston.com, N-I-Preston, P-R-E-S-T-O-N.com. Uh, lots of skills there in communication and in, in how to just deal with people. Again, it's the number one skill I think we all need, and yet how many of us have ever been trained trained in it? It's just not uh, something we do in our schools necessarily or even in our families. We'll take a break. When we come back, do a little Coach's Corner, continue this discussion about dealing with the sometimes difficult people. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We've been talking about narcissism and dealing with the uh, the difficult person. <laughs> I, I have a feeling everybody has somebody, right, that just 
taxism that just wears them out. And so one of uh, the things that I, when I'm working with people and uh, couples sometimes, but sometimes just individuals, I don't need you to change everything. Sometimes just changing how you see somebody impacts you. Uh, there's a great quote by Napoleon um, that that is basically, um, never attribute to malice that which is adequately described by incompetence. Never attribute to malice that which is adequately explained or ascribed as incom- by incompetence. Many, many people that are in our lives that are hurting us or that are wearing us down or destroying our day or ruining the moment, many of these people are not doing it out of maliciousness because they're just evil and horrible. Most people are doing it because they don't have a clue. They're ignorant. Now, the, it, it's important to distinguish that because if you keep thinking that you know your child doesn't visit you because he's just a horrible child, that will impact a lot of things that you do, that you think, that you feel. Because remember, your thoughts lead to your feelings and your feelings lead to your actions. So if my thought is that this person is bad, this person is mean, this person doesn't care, um, then I'm probably going to be generating negative feelings. Those negative feelings will eventually turn into negative actions or reactions, which eventually those actions or reactions help uh, to solidify what I am becoming. And if I am becoming something I don't want to become, like an angry, lonely, hurt person, then guess what? I'm probably going to keep those thoughts alive and perpetuate more angry, hurt, lonely person. And it's, so that's where self-fulfilling prophecy comes in, right? Our thoughts. So if I were going to work with you as a client and you've got a really difficult person to deal with, and they hurt you. I'm not even pretending like they don't hurt you. These people really hurt you emotionally, let's say. Financially, they may have impacted you. Maybe it's a business partner that threatened to sue or to leave or they're just difficult. Um, you could fight that person all day long. You could also just start with how you think about that person And I would do what you could to attribute what's going on with this person, not just to their evil nature, but maybe more to just the simple fact that they're broken, that they don't get it. Uh, Stephen Covey has a quote that I just love. It says, um, it's not the snake that bites you that kills you. It's chasing the snake that drives the venom to the heart, right? Being bit by a snake, that's that's not the thing that'll kill you. It's what you do after you were struck that's going to make all the difference. If you spend the next two days chasing down that stupid snake to kill it, uh, that venom's going to get you. And the same thing happens in our lives, in our marriages, in our relationships. It's not dealing with a narcissist that's going to kill you. It's what you do with the narcissist that you're living with that's going to kill you, that's going to wear you out, that's going to slowly ruin you. And there's nothing more frustrating to all of us than when we're becoming somebody, we're becoming an angry, reactive, mean, hurting, hurt-filled person 
But then we always just say, yeah, but it's because my husband's a narcissist. Well, sure. Yeah. And, you know, we know he's a narcissist because he is was hurt and abused as a child or whatever. So what's your excuse? Well, I'm just miserable and happy because I married somebody that was abused as a child. In the end, all of us are broken, right? Let's get real. We're all broken. And um, so don't wear it as a badge of honor and don't ever think that you can treat somebody with anger and you know vengeance and justification because you're angry only because they're mean because you don't believe in treating people that way. So if you're ever justifying why you treat people certain ways because they treat you certain ways, the minute you're doing that, you are by definition reactive. And reactivity is something that most of us don't highly value, right? We don't – I mean you should be reactive if a train is coming. coming. You should react and get off the tracks. But when it comes to your marriage, if I'm dealing with a difficult partner and I become reactive and I blame them, that's only going to perpetuate this more. It also, just so you know, doesn't mean you have to stay with them either. But I wouldn't leave if I'm a highly reactive person yet. I'd go figure out how to quit being reactive. I'd start learning the skills for how to deal with a narcissist, how to communicate better, how to hold better boundaries, how to know what my rights are as a, in a relationship. And once I have some of these tools, then I can just not react. And then I can lovingly just say, this is the boundary. You've crossed it. I need you to go. Now, it's never perfect, right? It's just more tools. And again, um, I, I – have all these degrees in studying this, and I don't, I don't have them because I did it naturally. I went to school to keep studying it because I didn't have a clue how to do it. And we don't necessarily teach conflict resolution skills in our schools. We don't necessarily teach dealing with difficult people in our schools, even though, by the way, we're living it every day in our schools, right? It's all about learning, my friends, and uh, that's really the, the goal of this program is to bring it to you on your way to work, give you some tools that you can take away today just on your little commute to work. We are going to take a break. Hour number two, my friends, in the books. Done. File it away. And uh, we'll take a break. Come back to hour number three of the show. We're going to be talking about pornography and the impact it's having on your children. Did you know But by the time they are... Uh, out of high school, 100% of the kids will have uh, somehow been impacted negatively by pornography. We'll be back after the break. This is the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your life coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. Our goal, of course, is to help you live healthier, love stronger, of course, and lead. Lead the ones you're with. Lead your life. Lead your family. Lead your job. Wherever you are, be a leader. That's what we like to talk about on the show. Nobody's a better leader than James. Right, James? Yeah, I can't argue with that. 
what you tell me every morning. <laughs> I'm a leader. James, usually most leaders don't need to say they're a leader. They just lead. I do both. <laughs> Which is good because a lot of people wouldn't pay attention. It's, it's like restaurants that have to say gourmet in the name. Yeah. Uh, if you have to say it, you're probably not really a gourmet. Just saying. Maybe it's really good food, but yeah, I don't know. Hey, uh, got a great show today. We're talking about pornography, the silent killer. It, a lot of people don't think that that's a big deal. Like, that's what's the big deal? Come on. But by the end of high school, nearly all kids will have seen pornography. And so we're going to be talking to an expert, a, 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 a sociologist that actually knows the impact this has on our children. And with more technology, guess what, folks? And children getting these cell phones that can do pretty much everything. The exposure is going to be there. And uh, – we want you to just understand what's going on when a kid sees stuff that they're not supposed to see till certain ages, right? We'll get into that a little bit later. Dr. Brian Willoughby from BYU will be joining us on that. And BB Netanyahu won the deal. The winner and still champion, BB Netanyahu. Yeah, he won. I don't know if – it seems like there was a lot of turmoil leading up to it. He had to go clear to the right and say that he's never going to allow a two-state solution right. to get the victory. But we know he said something different like within the last year. Old BB, new BB. Old BB, new BB. And so, the, I mean, it's interesting how politics, no matter what country it is, it's just politics. It's all yeah. the same stuff. <laughs> um but it's interesting to see what kind of – because he has to draw a coalition together. The way the government works, he has to get a bunch of different groups all together so he can form right. his, his uh, I guess, his majority. His, yeah, his new team, his new assault. Team. And it's kind of the similar in, in par- parliament in, uh, in Britain. They do the same there. And, and it's just interesting to see where he's going to go and if he can have the same sort of influence in his own country that he's had. Does that, aren't these two-year terms? I'm not sure because he, he's into his fourth term. Yeah, so it sounds and three like, of them were. Con- this will be the third consecutive. And he's been in six years, so yeah, yeah it sounds like they're two-year terms. I mean, what a horrible system. Works. Just go a little longer, three years, four years. I mean, I'm not going to critique the government, but but I'll go ahead and critique the government. I'll just critique the government. It's just come on to have to do this. I would hate to have to do a rate, and we do it every four years. One of the key issues was yeah. uh, uh, he came over here. Yeah. Netanyahu spoke to Congress about Iran and their nuclear programs. Uh, polls, more polls. I know you love polls. I love polls. N- another one. It looks like it's from CNN. All polls come from CNN, apparently. It says that uh, a, a majority of the country backs negotiations with Iran about their nuclear program. Really? They think 49% say the Republican senators went too far by sending a letter to Iran's leaders without yep. warning. Uh, that the you know the what, what happened last week that the uh, Obama administration would require only about one third thirty nine percent think the letter hurt U S efforts to keep Iran from developing a weapons program okay and direct diplomatic negotiations with Iran are broadly popular sixty eight percent while twenty nine percent oppose them yeah they like the diplomatic route rather than I guess the other route as we go stomping around in the Middle East again with our, <laughs> our big tanks. Well, when in, what, what's the phrase we always use? What do we, what do we always say, James? Uh-huh. When, 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 when in, in doubt, doubt, 
uh, diplomatic, uh, diplomatic it out. out. When kinda, in doubt, diplomatic it out. It's got a nice, nice cadence. Good it's job. got a great cadence, mm-hmm. and I, I'm surprised you remembered that one because that's I just pulled that one off the hip. Oh yeah, well I I try to, you know, I say that to myself every day when I wake up. When in doubt, diplomatic it out. Wow, really? Yeah. Do you have do you have like diplomacy issues like when you're getting up? Well, just when I have to deal with difficult people, um, I, I have to remember that. Like at work? Maybe. It depends. Wow. I have to diplomatic it out. Yeah. I don't know if that's even the right way to say that. I don't even know. Talking um, about, we're put talking, that on a bumper sticker. Talking about smartphones. Yes. Android phones for a long time have had a vulnerability because the apps are not reviewed by Google. They're just posted to the, their web store, and you can download. So they could any it could go anywhere. Apple, yeah. they review them all, look yeah. for malware, look for any sort of shady sort of business practices uh-huh. going on in the purchasing of uh, different services through the app. Where well, Google is going to now start screening the apps, rate, ah. make sure they're age related, they're specific for different things. Yeah, is it actually? Yeah, is it doing what it says it's going to do? Because ISIS had an app. Yes, and it got posted to. Uh, it was an Android a, app. A website, and you can download it on your Android phone. It has to – Google's uh, – the Android software is open. Yeah. So anybody can develop, and you post your app somewhere, and you can download and it. And that gets more supposedly people using it because it's so open. Whereas Apple has their their whole thing sort of locked down. You have to go through them to get anything onto mm-hmm. these devices. But Apple does it, they say, to protect. Google is now seeing the benefits of that because of some malware yeah, and virus issues. Yeah, hurt Apple. No. They're doing okay. So it says this new product, in, this new process involves a team of experts who are responsible for identifying violations of our developer policies early in the app cycle instead of trying to deal with it after it's already been posted. Well, thank you, Google. So that's a, a, a benefit there. Shout out to Googly. Dyson. They make uh, vacuums. Dyson. They also make chickens. That's Tyson. Okay. A little different. Just and chicken. they don't make the chickens. <laughs> they just process them. Way to clarify. So Dyson, the vacuum company, wants to double your phone's battery life. The U.K. company is putting $15 million into a project being headed by a company called Skate3, or S-A-K-IT3, so a, a yeah. separate company that makes batteries. With a really bad name. Yeah. So the idea, yeah, if I can't just read it, it's kind of, yeah. But the, uh, they, the new lithium-ion batteries with solid-state technology so they could store twice as much energy as the batteries typically used in smartphones today. So new technology, try to advance... See. Smartphones, because that's really where the next development cycle has to come for phones and devices in general, totally. so you don't have to charge them every day. I mean, even you, you're like, this morning, I was you, complaining. you've lost 12% charge just in an, in an hour. I just listen to audio on my, my phone. Yeah. And but I see, I think that's cool, because if Dyson's on it, Dyson, right? Not Tyson. Dyson. Dyson makes vacuums. Tyson makes they want, chickens. They want things to work properly. And they know how to suck a bowling ball with a vacuum. Is that right. the group? That's them. So imagine they, we put those brains on the, on the battery. You'll well, be, at you, the moment, they're backing a product. Yeah. There's somebody else doing the research and development, but they're not going to waste their money on something they don't have any faith in. At least that's uh, the idea. Yeah. Unless, of course, it I, doesn't pan out and then they'll back away. I want them more involved because you know that you'll eventually have a battery that could run a city. And suck a ball, uh, a bowling ball. A bowling ball. Did you hear about the uh, San Francisco 49er linebacker? Yes, twenty four years old, 
Yeah. Chris Borland announced his re- he's retiring from football over concerns over repetitive head trauma resulting in brain injury. Now, after one year. After one year. Now, he is a linebacker. He's yes. an inside linebacker. I'm not sure exactly the position, but, but he's linebacker. a linebacker. Linebackers are known for blowing up their heads. Yes. They're human battering rams. So that was smart of Borland. It makes you wonder, where was this a year ago? Well, he said after talking with family, concussion researchers, friends, okay. current and former teammates, he's doing what's best for his own health. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been several former football players yeah. that have retired and they've ended up with brain injuries and problems and several committed suicide because yeah. of uh, they, they feel dementia-related issues. See, this is uh... – this, we, we're going to do a show on this. I think we've got to get in an expert. Is this as bad as they say? Because if – you know, because he had a chance to make money. I'm sure he made some money, but he. I saw yesterday he was going to make about $450,000 for the season. Okay. Now, find a job that will – for six months' work, right. $450,000. Yeah, but then you've got to lose 10% of your brain function. Right, and that's probably where he was trying to balance this out. Huh. Well, uh, you ought to think about this too, James. Are you saying by being on the show, I lose 10% of my brain function? Easily. If not 15. Easily. And, I mean, you're making great money. So you got to wonder, is it worth it? I don't know. I have to weigh it. I, I, pros and cons. Yeah. We'll see. What? When in doubt. Diplomatic it out. That's it. That's where I'd start. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Dr. Brian Willoughby is going to be joining us here from Brigham Young University, uh, professor in the College of Family, Home, and Social Sciences. We're going to be addressing an article that I found um, that basically talks about by the time your child graduates from high school, virtually 100% of those children will have had some exposure to pornography online. And uh, we want, I want to talk to him about the impact of that. It sounds like something we should worry about. And yet, you know, how do you go against a $3 billion mobile, mobile porn industry? It's tough stuff. We'll be talking about it up next right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. In the studio, Brian Willoughby, professor here at Brigham Young University. He's joining us, and uh, we're talking about new research that shows that children are viewing and getting addicted, uh, according to this article, to pornography on smartphones and other devices, sometimes as young as seven years old. By the time kids graduate high school, some studies show that nearly 100% of them have seen pornography. And according to a 2013 Common Sense Media study, 83% of 5- to 8-year-olds know how to use a smartphone, which is the mechanism or the device by which uh, you know the $3 billion mobile porn industry is pushing a lot of their, their goods or bads, I guess we can call it. Uh, Dr. Brian Willoughby is joining us from BYU's College of Family, Home, and Social Sciences. Brian, welcome to the show, my friend. Good to be here, Matt. Now, nobody – you study this stuff. I do. This you is, like you come here every whenever day. Whenever I'm to bored, campus, I decide to start studying pornography. Pull out a, a, an anti, you know, all the research, all the literature on it. It's it's okay to me. It's a it's a couple of things. Pornography scares us because it's kind of always been the dark, 
you know, the dark mm-hmm. side of everything. And we, we've always been taught, don't look at stuff like that. Don't do stuff like that. Then we hear our kids are seeing it almost 100% supposedly by the time they're out of high school. Right. Okay. Let's just get into it. Is When you think of – as an expert that studies this, that studies family, home, social sciences, what do we need to worry about when it comes to pornography? What well, don't we need to worry about? Right. Well, the other thing that scares us, back to the idea that pornography scares us, is we use the A word yeah. a lot. It's Not the swear addiction. word. The addiction word. Yeah. Right. And we have this idea that as soon as my kid looks at pornography, really anyone looks at pornography, they're now addicted. Yeah. Which oh, yeah. We don't do that with almost anything else. No. We don't even do that with drugs, Peanut butter, alcohol. Nothing. Yeah, yeah. We don't do It's but pornography one time and you can become addicted. addicted. So we, we have a very big misunderstanding about what addiction is first. Yeah, Let's do that. Let's talk about that. Because right. is that just our fear driving it that we we want to get it so entrenched in a person's head that you don't go near it? Yeah. Is that what we're doing? It, that is. And then I think culturally we hear all these anecdotes. We hear all these stories about people that started with pornography and then that led to an affair, that led to child sexual abuse. Yeah. And so then that, that gets ingrained in our culture. Um, you know, an addiction is a very specific type of behavior. An addiction is something where we have a compulsion. We no longer are thinking about it. We can't stop. If it, when, we, when we try to assess people for addiction, we're asking ourselves questions. Are you doing it in secret? Are you not telling? Are you lying about that behavior? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a difference between an addiction and a bad habit. Now, that doesn't mean back to pornography. That doesn't mean pornography can't have harmful effects for children whenever they view it. Right. Right. Because we do know that pornography does do things to people, does change how they think about sexuality. But as soon as we put that addiction label on it, it heightens it makes everything. It, yeah. Well, and then it makes it, and I, I even see it that we, I've seen people that have gotten into pornography, used pornography, and it induced such guilt because of the, the, the hangover of just how evil it is in right. some of our eyes that they, you know, they were talking to me as if you thought that they had committed murder. Right. Yeah. And you're like, okay. And, and in fact, this is brand new research yesterday. Okay. Hot off the presses wow. from my from Sweet. my lab. What? I found that when people label something as pornographic, no matter what it is, whether it's actual pornography, whether it's Victoria's Secret catalog, if they labeled it pornography, it increased their risk for depression. So just like you said, really? just, just labeling it pornography creates that guilt. Sometimes because we have that stigma yeah. about it. Um, and again, it's not to say there's not anything negative about viewing that kind of sexual content, but there is something about how we talk about it yeah. as a culture and how we think about it as a culture, and just the anxiety about well, it. Well, and if it increases depression, because one of I've heard one of the predominant reasons people are using it is because it creates a chemical high mm-hmm. that helps boredom and anxieties. Mm-hmm. So if you are depressed right. or anxious – because everything you're doing is deemed pornographic, it might just precipitate right. your problem. Yeah, it's what we call mood regulator, right? Yeah. And, and, and that's more common when we see young adults and teenagers and especially adults using pornographies. They're using it for that. I had a stressful day. Yeah. I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling depressed. I get that high. You know, and they're using it very much like right. they would a substance like alcohol, drugs, et cetera. Um, and that's usually where that addiction can form is yeah. when I get that high and I keep going back to it. So so I guess that's the sign then that you have an addiction is when you're hiding it, you're keeping it secret, and you you know you're going back to get the fix. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you get that – you get with addicts this idea – and again, this isn't just pornography, any kind of addiction. It's I want to stop. I'm telling myself I'm going to stop, and then I go back to it. 
Mm. That that's that true sign of, of compulsive behavior is is you lose that what we call cognitive process. You're not thinking about it till after the fact, and that that creates this very negative cycle for an addict because they tell themselves they're going to stop. Yeah, they do it, and then immediately afterwards, when they come down from that high, the guilt is huge, it's immense, I, I, and they feel like I can't stop. Yeah. I'm, I'm hopeless. There's that hopeless feeling mm-hmm. with an addict that I, I can't ever ever get past this because I've tried. I keep telling myself I'm going to stop, and I don't. It's interesting because it also seems like it's a brain addiction, right? Because it's mm-hmm. the brain chemistry you're after. Yes, which is it seems different than a cocaine addiction that still has a brain chemistry addiction, mm-hmm. but it also has. A chemical addiction to the cocaine. Right. Are, are, well, are they different? In some ways, they're similar. There's some, some brain research out there suggests that pornography does change brain function and chemistry. Okay. The issue, though, is that if I take cocaine, I'm going to start that brain change pretty quick. Pornography, to, to get that level of change in my brain and in my, my, neuro, my neurochemistry, yeah. it takes a fairly high dosage, right? So yeah. your, your average teenager, your average young adult that you know, has seen pornography a few times or their friends have shown them pornography, they're not changing their brain chemistry. Again, we can talk yeah. about the other social and right. sexual side effects yeah, of fact, that. Let's get to that in a minute. But we're not necessarily talking about, hey, I viewed porn a couple times when I was 17, and so I have a porn addiction. Yeah, yeah. But see, and so, that's, so you would see that they are, in order to change chemistry, their use would be higher. They they wouldn't be going anywhere. This right. is all they'd be doing, and they'd yeah. have to have an abundance of it. Yeah, you're you're going to see that clear pattern of of yeah. regular use, compulsive use. You're talking, you know, and it's going to be a very regular thing. And and really, again, the interesting thing about brain chemistry research, though, is that we we culturally will put these labels like, well, you take heroin, your brain changes. You view porn for a long time, your brain changes. There's a little bit of research that suggests we overeat a lot and our brain changes. Right. It, it, that addiction label is, is, is partially cultural yeah, too. Yeah. Is, you know, if, if I like donuts and I eat donuts every day and I I'm keep telling addict. myself I'm going to stop eating donuts, yeah. you know, we don't talk about donut addiction. Right. We talk about a bad habit. So th- there's a That's cultural so piece true. of that too. Well, and, and, it's, um, and I guess too then it's so important to think of the depression side, the guilt side. Um, and it's, I think in a Christian world – we see it as a sin because you're mm-hmm. you're actually looking upon a woman to lust after or a man because now I have I have a lot of women using pornography mm-hmm. as well that I I work with and so it's um I guess we we demonize it in a way that I guess my concern is um we, I we don't want to under you know estimate it but we also don't want to exaggerate it right cuz if especially if it's going to constantly keep inducing Mm-hmm. The same effect. Right. And what what that does sometimes is it makes people more likely to hide. Yeah. Because they know in my religious community or in my family um, system, this is a huge deal. This this is this is worse than drugs sometimes right. Right. for a lot of people. And so I can't I can't go get help. I can't go talk to a religious leader. I can't go talk to my spouse. I can't go talk to my parents because this is such a big deal. And then they hide. And then yeah. that that sometimes can lead to an addiction, to a bigger, yeah, time. a bigger event or a bigger usage. Yeah. Um, so what? So what are then the negative impacts? Right. I mean, it's not. It's there's there's things that happen to us. Right. We we sexualize. We do all these other things. Yeah. The biggest thing we think happens to people when they view pornography. You have to think about what pornography generally is. You're, you're talking about non-normative people, right? Yeah. People who don't look like regular people, right. Doing non-normative sexual things. Yeah. Things that most people don't do yeah. in the bedroom. And so the biggest thing we think, and this is regardless of addiction, this is just viewing pornography, is it's changing how people think about sex. 
it's particularly for younger kids and teenagers that that oftentimes don't have a lot of sexual experience themselves. If if I'm viewing pornography, that's giving me some messages about what sex is supposed to be like. Right. And it's giving me messages that are very unrealistic that I might now carry on through young adulthood, through adulthood into my actual sexual relationships. And that's going to really change my expectations. And, and, and for most people, it might change them in a very negative way. For me, I think the most negative thing that comes from pornography is the assumption that pornography is about physical pleasure or yeah. sex, sex sexual, is about yeah. Physical pleasure, because right. that's what I'm seeing from pornography. That's all it is. It's that's a it. physical act. It's physical pleasure. And that's not necessarily what healthy sexuality is for couples. That's, right. it's, it's, that's a part of it. But there's a there's a emotional connection with intimacy. There's, there's, for a lot of people, a spiritual connection with intimacy. That's not depicted in pornography. Yeah. But if all I think is, is sex is pleasure... One, that's, that's going to change how I engage in sexual intimacy. It's going to change how I interact with my partners. And for people whose long-term goal is marriage, and I want to be with someone for the long term, anyone that's been married for 10-plus years can tell you sometimes sex is not all about the pleasure. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and if that's what it is for me, I'm, I'm setting myself up for disappointment. Oh, yeah. And, and then, again, back to your cycling of emotion and disappointment and, right. and, and then the confusion because – yeah, this is this is how it's supposed to go, right? And yet, no, it's really not. We're talking with Dr. Brian Willoughby here um, from Brigham Young University, BYU's College of Family, uh, Home, and Social Sciences. We're going to take a break. When we come back, give you some more ideas, more tools for what the conversations you should be having with your kids when it comes to pornography. What they what ha- what should we say when we find out that they've been uh, seeing stuff online? How should we approach it? So as not to get them running, not to create more depression, uh, but instead to understand it more right here on the Matt Townsend Show, right after this break. back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. In the house, Dr. Brian Willoughby, our insider here at BYU. He's with the College of Family, Home, and Social Sciences, a researcher extraordinaire. Went to uh, Wisconsin. Where else did you go? I went uh, one year to the University of Wisconsin. Yeah. And then to BYU. BYU. Yeah. And then graduate work at the University of Minnesota. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh, Yes. It's cold up there. It is. I don't know if you it knew is. that. It, I, I noticed <laughs> when you? I when I was living there. When I grew up Did there, you I noticed? noticed. Yeah, I bet it probably made studying easier because yeah. you just got to get your coat on and go yeah. by the fire. Yep. Study. Brian is talking to us today about um, pornography and your children. Uh, just as an article we read, it's. I think it's so important that we we protect our children. Make sure our children aren't uh, easily able to access pornography. Basically, by the time your child is 18 years old, according to some research, um, they have about 100% chance of having been exposed right. to pornography. So it's probably something, Brian, you're not going to just keep away. Nope. And yet, there's a part of this that's really interesting, too, because you should be attracted to these images, right? I mean, in right. a way, it should. it's part of nature to want to see that. Right. One of the biggest mistakes parents make around this issue 
whether it's having conversations with our kids before we think they're viewing pornography or if we catch a child viewing pornography and now we're having that talk is every message we send them is negative. Yeah. You know, this is bad. This is evil. This is going to ruin your life. And, and like we were talking about before, there are negative effects of pornography. But what we're missing sometimes, what parents miss in that conversation is when kids internalize those messages, they're internalizing, okay, pornography, what I just viewed is bad, but I felt this attraction to another person. I felt yeah. this physical attraction to someone and my parents are telling me that's bad. Yeah, that's and they start internalizing right. that. Like, I right? and, not, yeah. and, and that's one of the reasons why, because we see those really strong messages a lot in religious communities, but then we also see a lot of sexual intimacy issues later on yeah. in marriage. Um, for people, a lot of it can, can be traced back to these conversations with parents. I hear all the time of young adults that have gotten married, newlyweds that are struggling with this issue, and they'll say, you know what? Every message I got from my parents, whether it was about pornography or right. anything else about sex, was negative. Don't, 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 don't. And now I'm married and it's supposed to be okay, but every time I feel attracted to my spouse, I feel guilty. Isn't that interesting? And they, yeah, I guess we're supposed to not, 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 don't do it, don't, and then all of a sudden just turn that on. Yes. Yeah, all of a sudden, all of a sudden it's okay. Okay, now you go. Now you're good to go. And then we get all these newlyweds that have all these intimacy problems with each other. When I think about it, too, uh, the minute we're objectifying, the minute we're turning another person into an object, I mean, I know that's a big issue with pornography because it it does objectify people. It makes humans things, tools, instead of beings, you know, children of God kind of. Mm -hmm. What's the impact on a child with that? It's, it's, it's similar to what we were talking about before is like we said, the big thing that porn does is it changes how I think about sex. And one of those things can be this objectification of particularly women um, with most pornography is that I'm going to see women as these physical objects that are for men's pleasure. Mm -hmm. If you look at most pornography, that's what's being depicted. That's what the woman is for is to pleasure the guy. And so if that's what I think sex is, um, again, once I become sexually involved, once I get married, that's going to be a very challenging thing for me to get through. Well, how do you, how do you unwind spouse. that? Well, the, the thing is, you know, a lot of times with, with kids in particular, like I said, parents see this as, as just like the drug talk. You know, it's just say no. Yeah. It's bad. Stay away from it. We try to scare them away, right? Think about it this way, though. What if that's an opportunity for me as a parent to sit down and say, first off, you know what? It's okay to have that attraction. It's okay to be attracted yeah. to other women. Here's why. This is sex, what, yeah. Sexual intimacy is a great thing that you're going to get to experience someday. And, and, and for a lot of religious people, a lot of people, it's in the context of marriage. Sexual intimacy is a beautiful thing. It helps connect us. And so it's great that you're feeling those feelings. Yeah. But here's why it's important to rein in those attractions now, here's what specifically is wrong with pornography and start to talk about these exactly. things. We're t- the objectification, yeah. the idea that it's changing. You know, this is not what sex is. Right. You know, and, here, and again, this is a tough thing because parents don't like to talk about no. sex. But that's an opportunity to say that's not what sex is. Here's what sex is supposed to be. And teach about. them tangibly. It's the spiritual aspects of it or the intimate, just how it, the bonding aspects. So teach what it is for right. Yeah, and we always kind of teach what it's not, and then right. we wonder why nobody knows what it is. Exactly. Yeah, that, that's an opportunity to talk about how intimacy is. Like we were saying before, yeah. it's an emotional bond. It can be a spiritual bond. It can be a physical bond. But you know, let's have a conversation. When you were viewing whatever it was, did you see much emotional bonding going yeah. on in that? 
You know, probably not. And and the nice thing too about this, particularly with pornography, because as as we mentioned, it's it's the exposure is happening earlier and earlier. Right. Um, it's an opportunity to have an early conversation about sexual intimacy. A lot of parents won't have it till the kids are you know fifteen, sixteen, and we have this awkward bird and the bees right. type of discussion. Right. Um, that's an opportunity maybe at nine, ten, eleven to have an early conversation about. Okay, I want to talk to you about this pornography thing. You know, let's go through. But but here's a general message I want to give you about sexual intimacy so that when you are 16, 17, you can talk to me yeah. about it. You know, and then now we're not going to have that awkward teenage adolescent <laughs> to parent conversation. Where well, they what don't, fun is that? Yeah, they don't want to talk right. to you anymore. Your 10-year-old still wants to talk to you. Yeah. They still want to listen. To and they're you. even curious. So we give a little lesson when they're nine or so and just about birds and the bees and then a little more when they're older mm-hmm. and then a little more when they're older. Right. But I'm always, it's always my younger ones that are really curious. Exactly. My, exactly. Once they're 12, it's yeah. like kind of useless to talk about. Cause and, they're... And, and the other really important thing that does is it sends your kids a message that this topic is okay to talk yeah, about. Yeah, we can you talk know, about yeah, it. Yeah, if, if the message is, oh, you saw something that's bad, that's evil, don't yeah. ever do it again. When they're 13, 14, 15, 17, 18 – and they're they see it again, it. they're going to hide it. Yeah. The, okay, I, last time I brought this up to mom and dad, it was this really negative experience. If I can have a positive experience with my kids talking about this and still explain why I don't approve and why I think it's wrong, yeah. at least I'm showing them that this is a topic they can talk to me about. So hopefully when they are older and, and they're having, maybe they're struggling with something, maybe they are forming addiction, or maybe they saw something else they don't understand, they're going to come to me now right. and talk to it instead of their friends or on the internet. So how we handle this... It, is going to determine how we will handle all of the future conversations. Right. So if you blow up, freak out, shut down the internet, get rid of every device, mm-hmm. it's it's. I mean, you might do versions of that, right. but you always want to do it with openness. Yeah, you want you want us to have that open conversation, and, yeah. and this transcends just that. Even the pornography sex stuff yeah, is everything. I'm teaching my kids that they can come to me with stuff that's difficult, with stuff that is awkward. You know, I, I, I always strive with my kids that I want my kids to be the ones that feel like they can come to me, yeah. that this topic isn't taboo with right. mom and dad. In fact, because I don't, I don't want anything to be taboo no, no. with mom and dad. If, if, if it's a question about sex, if it's yeah. drugs, if it's friends, if it's anything. And, and part of this is my secret desire for have, to have all my kids make me let them approve their marriage partners That's exactly. down the road. So it's all pointing towards yeah, that direction. You're laying the foundation <laughs> yeah. so that you have full power. Later. That's right. Oh, man, Brian, you're the best. Uh, Brian what Willoughby is his name, Dr. Brian Willoughby. He's here on campus. If you need any information, he's also over the Relate program. What's that website again? Yeah, so the Relate Institute. It's relateinstitute.com. Um, we have several assessments people can take to help with their relationships, and we have a relationship blog that we do twice a week. He's the man. The man! Thanks, Brian. Uh, We'll have him back every month, whether he wants to or not. We're going to force him here. It's just fun to have people that know things. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to go to the sports guys at BYU Sports Nation. Spencer and Jerem, they know stuff. We're going to talk about that BYU loss last night. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're going to shoot it down to Studio B, where BYU Sports Nation, they're hibernating. Uh, Spencer and Jerem, my friends, how are you guys? 
Hey Matt, uh, we're we're hearing like this random two feed action. Really? <laughs> yeah. oh, we're good. There, no, we're good. It's clear now. No, we're good. We now. can hear like seven different audio tracks Ooh. coming in. And we were like, uh, is that why you're making that funny face on the video? We're gonna try and we're gonna try and figure this thing out live radio. Live That's radio. really fun. You know what, um, you guys? I I don't know what you were doing last night. Um, let's I just see. had dinner and then went to bed early. I don't know what else is going on. <laughs> I was celebrating uh, St. Patrick's Day, my favorite holiday. Oh, yeah. Do you guys still do that uh, Lord of the Dance party? Uh, Where you guys <laughs> no, dress up? Like and... four years ago we stopped. Doing okay, it. you stopped doing it. Yeah. <laughs> that was had, a great party, though. We had an ice cream binge. Tell you that. Well, Jeremy Jerem sat in his car and ate popsicles to uh, ease his pain from the loss, and I had a huge Oreo shake, and it made my stomach hurt really bad, but I just... <laughs> What else do you do? Oh, dude, up 17. Yeah. Yep, give up 62 points in the second half. Ugh. It's tough because they play arguably their best half of basketball all year. In yeah. The first half. Yeah. Huge yeah. stage, and they just deliver, man. Act one was fantastic. Oh, yeah, and you felt like, okay, here we go. I was I was hesitant at halftime because yeah. BYU led by 16 at Pepperdine and lost that game. They allowed 55 Oh, so in the second you've seen half. that before. I tweeted that out at halftime. Hey, no, no lead feels safe because this happened. And then uh, Kyle Collinsworth gets in foul trouble. The Cougars turn it over 10 times. Mm. In the second half, they allow 62. And boom, you have an L at the end of the day, which is a real bummer because this was a, this was a fun season. BYU won 25 games, and they should not have. Right. It should have been 20, 22, or 23. They won at Gonzaga. Kyle Collinsworth has six triple doubles. Tyler Hawes breaks Jimmer Fredette's record. I know. Wow. Dave Rose throws his coat. Uh, it. <laughs> You know Jake Toulson's dance. It was it was a fun season. I Jeremy Jordan to have this shaved conversation his head. Friday yeah, Jeremy, you shaved your head. Dude. I shaved my head or whatever. <laughs> I had a dream last night, by the way, that I had bangs. I was so excited. I was like, "Oh, sweet, I'm back." Oh, you know what, Jerem? Uh, do you want to know what that means? What? I'm a dream expert. Ooh, I believe you. It means that uh, you are going to start a new a, a new trend, a new dressing trend, or you want to, mm. and you want to go back to the old 1980s claw bangs day. Claw bangs. Claw bangs. No thanks. Okay. Jeremy's Googling that right now. 1980s claw, claw bangs. bangs. I'll leave that to my brother-in-law who's a hipster. So you guys are going to cover this, you know, inside and out on your show, or are you just going to move on? You know, no, we, no, no. We're going to dwell we, on what happened. We will dissect what happened, but also uh, we're going we're gonna to open up the wide-angle lens and look Good. at what Jeremy just talked about. Yeah. Like, this season was unbelievable. It was an unbelievable high at moments, and... Like last night, the lowest of lows. But that's the beauty and pain of being a fan, right. particularly of BYU sports, yeah. is, is the wins Mostly and the, pain lately. the amazing accomplishments feel so awesome. But they feel that way because you have the low lows, like last night. Do, do, they, do they get in the NIT? No, the thing is they were in the NCAA tournament. Like the yeah. first four is considered part of the NCAA oh, tournament. It is. Oh, bummer. And so it's, it's, over. it's so not done. like, oh, if you lose in the first four, you can go be a one seed in the NIT. Wouldn't that be nice? That would have been cool. But that's that's not how it works. It's all in on the NCAA tournament, and there's not a guy in that locker room, not a coach, not a player, not a team manager that is thinking, man, I wish we would have gone to the NIT not one of them. Yeah, it's right. No. Always, yeah. always all yeah. in on the big dance. It's like the sixty-fifth down is. I mean, anyway, that's rude. But it's like you're, you're. Yeah, you want to be in the big dance. Sixty-eight teams out of three hundred fifty-one make the big dance. Let's mm. give you some 
perspective, there are 354 teams in NCAA Division One basketball. Wow. Uh, BYU was the 44th ranked team in the tournament. That is the <sighs> top 13% of college hoops. That's where BYU's at. They're a really good program. That's great. That's really it great. It just stinks that they lost last night up 17 because BYU is capable of doing more. Yeah. If they played Xavier, who knows? Maybe they win that one and make a little run here. It was. It, it's a bummer. It's a real bummer uh, kind of day. But we're gonna we're gonna I, dwell on that, but yet celebrate what was this season. I got something that'll pull you out of it. Okay. Um, Spencer was asking me this the other day. I don't know if you guys remember, but Spencer and I ran into each other in the bathroom in passing. Yeah, I remember that combo. <laughs> <laughs> and we had a great conversation about the toilet paper roll. <laughs> if if it's supposed to roll off the top of the roll or underneath the roll, there, is there Depends a proper what side way? Of the equator you're on. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> if you're in, if you're in South America, yeah, it rolls the other way. <laughs> um, no, but here's here's the deal. A 124 year old patent reveals the right way to use the toilet paper. So what? if your wife has ever, so the way the po- the toilet paper roll was designed in its patent, it's supposed to roll off the top. So your wives are right. <laughs> so just shut your mouth and put the roll on right. You know what? I I'm a proponent of the on the top. Yeah. Matt. I've I perhaps have gone against the grain. Can uh, I give you some more advice? This whole time. In the middle of the night, if you have to change the roll, mm-hmm. which I have to do now at four forty in the morning. Super fun. TMI, man. Turn on a light. Okay. Because I left the biggest mess of toilet paper in a bathroom because I could not find I'm glad you said toilet paper in that sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I couldn't find the end of the roll. So I just shredded a whole roll. Anyway. Oh. Just bring well, Hey, I'm just trying to I'm trying to help you guys. That certainly lifted my spirits. Did that help? Yeah. That's why we're here. I'm not thinking we're, about BYU's 62 point <laughs> give up the worst horrible yeah. No. See, hey, in so, other news, at Caring Kennel just followed me on Twitter. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Caring Kennel. That's funny because they just quit following me. (laughs) That's weird. They have 2,000 followers. I know. It's crazy. Hey, uh, guys, have a great show. And and again, we're here to give you little bits of information that you wouldn't normally get. And also to help Jerem dissect the claw bang dream. Yeah, I was thinking it was either that or like seven years of 19, feast and famine or something. 1980s. I wasn't, I wasn't sure if it was like the baker and yeah. the jailer involved and yeah. tell anybody. It is. <laughs> you should go tell the king that. Uh, thanks, guys. Have a great show. Uh, try to try to make it positive, though. I know you will. Oh, we will. That's what Spencer's here for. Yep. That's it. Positivity. Thanks, boys. Have a great day. That's hard. That would be hard, you know, to have to go, you know, tell the whole story. But they can handle it. They don't need our help. The clobbing dream's weird, though. They were weird to begin with. I didn't want to say what it really means. He's afraid that when his hair grows back, it's going to grow back weird. Well, it usually does. Like weird. I mean, it never grows back the same way. Never does. That's why I don't cut mine. What a show. We learned a lot today. Did you hear about that, by the way? Did you hear about that lady that is 100 uh, years old and what she did on her 100th birthday? Skydiving? Yeah. Yeah, I saw the pictures. What would you do? So if you, when you're 100 and you could pick any activity, and let's just say you're mobile enough to walk, what would you do? Huh. I'm not sure at all. 
I have no idea. You, you, I, I don't know if I'd skydive right now versus, but maybe at that point you're like, what's going to work? What's, what's the, the worst, worst thing, thing that could happen? I could die. Well, right. you could blow your hips out. Eh, probably in a wheelchair to begin with, just just because she's tired. <laughs> she doesn't. Uh, Georgina Harwood, maybe a hundred, but she doesn't act a day over ninety-two. On her birthday, she went skydiving, and you should see her just in their little red skydiver's outfit, and she went swimming with the sharks. Hmm. She's got a death wish. Yeah, I was going to say, she's got a death wish. <laughs> you know, when you're that old, maybe you just want to die. Or maybe you just want to feel alive and maybe... That's probably it, isn't it? Because maybe then just all sort of, of sudden, test it. Yeah. yeah I mean, you when you're that. swimming with the sharks... I mean, you're not doing much at that age anyways. You're going to bed at like, what, 5.30, so dinner's at 4.30. Yeah. Maybe go to bed at 6.30, you know. Yeah. Well, after you've read the national... Right, you pick up a paper, Inquire, or geographic. Grab your rotary phone. Yeah, make a phone call. Man, when I see when I'm a hundred, I'm gonna I'm gonna be so different. I'm gonna have a convertible. No, I am. No, I am. Well, have flying cars by then. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, I'll have a flying car. Well, that is only like ten, fifteen years. What? What? That's so. Yeah, no, I'm. I see that as an opportunity to just sit around and let everyone else remember how great you are. Now, you know what's great about being that old? You can say things that you would never normally say or get away with. But you can say it. You can say anything because they'll just say, ah, he's not right. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Like if I don't like somebody, I'll just say I don't like you. Yeah. You have to worry about people liking you or not at that point. Yeah, what are you going to do? You have enough friends or – not enough friends, whichever, you're, and you're fine with it because it, life's too short. That's a hundred years old, literally. When you're a hundred years old, do whatever you want. I'd I'd eat. You know what? I, I'd eat cake every day. What are they going to say? That's what. Uh, so Buffett. Yeah, he said he yeah. he eats cookie. He eats like a seven year old. He eats a bowl of ice cream every day. He eats Warren Buffett for breakfast, eats, like yeah, cake yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah, cake and ice cream and soda. And yeah, when you got all the money in the world, you yeah. you can afford cake. Let them eat cake. He goes, look how healthy seven year olds are. I'm going to eat that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, happy birthday to Georgina Harwood. She's taught us a great lesson that you're never too old to risk dying. She's our hero. She's our hero of the day. Skydiving and she'll be swimming with sharks Monday. Which is a big I, I swam with dolphins. I swam with a stingray. Okay. Weird. It's weird. I felt I felt like it was just all a photo op. <laughs> they didn't even let us really swim with them. They just made us stand there, and then they draped a stingray over us. No, don't touch it. It'll sting you. It's weird. Anyway, great show, my friends. Uh, we've learned a lot. We learned about ISIS and... They're, you know, they're advertising prowess. They're using every technique you can in social media and advertising. We also uh, learned a lot about dealing with a narcissism. Um, my peers here uh, inaccurately diagnosed me as a narcissist. We're coping day by day. <laughs> because I'm not a narcissist. I've already told you. I've got bigger problems than we that. We also learned that those who are narcissists really don't care if they are or not. And they deny it. And they deny it. So Yeah, that's true. You're showing all the symptoms. It's totally true. We learned about pornography. You got to worry about it, and you don't want to you don't want to demonize it to a point that your kids go underground. Lots of great stuff today, folks. 
uh, again, the goal of the show is to give you the tools, to give you the ideas, to, to live longer, to love stronger, and to become a better leader in your own life, in your community, in the government. We need better leaders, friends, and a leader is simply somebody that people will follow. So if you've got people in your life that are following you, let's just all agree to step up and become the change. Become the change and keep listening to the show. We can't do it without you. We'll be back tomorrow. More ideas, more more tools right here on the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio.